Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. What is up, Gypsy gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and this one is a banger. Uh, It is with the number one homie Justin Brayton who is on an absolute tear uh this is a crazy cool podcast because I personally think that Justin Brayton has one of the more remarkable stories just in Supercross ever uh he is a guy that has experienced almost every facet of racing he says it in the podcast and it's so true that at one point he was a nobody arena cross guy that just showed up with a pickup truck and his stepdad and they went out and he basically smoked everybody uh he got a fill-in ride for geico and the first time he rode their bike was the first time he ever rode a supercross track uh went from being a guy that couldn't get in the top 20 at a national to a dude that won arguably the most prestigious race in the sport uh with daytona supercross he's just it's a crazy crazy story of a guy that just never gave up and I think it's equally impressive that for so long in his career he just wasn't a dude that stood out at all he was so solid by the time he got into the 450 class in Supercross he was a really solid guy he's always been in the top 10 in the top five on podiums and then to win a race but these last four years He's really carved himself uh, his own niche in the sport. He is doing things on his own terms now by racing the Australian Supercross Championship as his prep for the AMA Supercross Championship. He still does his races in Europe and now Supercross only in the US on factory Honda, which is just, it's just crazy to sort of go from like a really kind of unassuming solid dude to a guy that... I think a lot of riders are like looking over at him going like, hmm, okay, I need to get on that JB program. Uh, So yeah, an an amazing podcast. We talk more about life than racing, uh, which is kind of the thing that I almost enjoy more uh, when I do these podcasts. But yeah, a fantastic podcast with an even better dude. And I'm really excited uh, to bring it to you guys. Also, thanks to everybody that watched the YouTube premiere last night. I just tried something a little bit different before we went live on iTunes. 
and then, yeah, we're just going to get into some sponsors quickly. Uh, going to give a massive shout out. And this is actually a bit of a congratulations more so than an ad uh, to the guys at MX Store who successfully moved their entire operation over the weekend. Uh, they outgrew their already pretty massive warehouse in Burley. They've just moved into another even bigger space, which I'm about to go and check out. So, um, more of a congratulations than an ad. Those guys, uh, they're fantastic for our industry. They're an amazing group of people. Um, and yeah, super proud to, to have them as a sponsor. So congratulations on the move, guys. Uh, as always, you can head to mxstore.com.au and order basically anything for your motorcycle. Or I would encourage you to go on their website, find the address for their new showroom and go and check it out as I'm going to today. Also got to give a shout out to the guys at Rival Inc. Design Co., uh, one of our biggest supporters. Uh, I am just about to do my New Zealand trip uh, for the Supercross and then we're staying at Townley's house doing our Ben Townley tour. Uh, so I will be about to drop off a bunch of jerseys and my helmets uh, to those guys to get some cool stickers done up. Uh, they do obviously the graphics kits for your motorcycle, but they also have a pretty crazy, uh, like product range when it comes to just general, like, you know, helmet wraps, um, the Jersey prints and stuff like that. So I'll be taking full advantage of that before my trip to New Zealand. You can head to rivalinkdesignco.com to find out more and you can use the code gypsy gang or gypsy tales, uh, at checkout to get 15% off your order. Uh, also got a, got to give a shout out to the guys at Nobby. Uh, you can head to nobby.com and you can sign up for just $20 a month to the undy club uh i will also be taking a bunch of those over to new zealand with me on that ride uh and last but not least the legends at boost mobile head to boost.com.au uh, you can check out the best range of prepaid packages in australia uh, that's not just my opinion they've won a bunch of awards for that and you can also buy uh pre-loved phones in a1 condition off those guys for a uh, massive savings um on what you'd pay retail for a brand new one so boost.com.au for that uh give us a follow on instagram at gypsy tales podcast subscribe to our youtube channel we're doing a ton of cool stuff over there uh thank you to everybody for listening uh we had one of our biggest months ever last month and i think that november will probably be our biggest month ever uh so yeah just thank you to everybody involved uh and again thank you to jb uh a phenomenal phenomenal dude and i really enjoyed this three-hour chat and i got a lot out of it personally and i hope you guys do too gypsy gang all right justin brayton we're finally doing it bro yeah here we are pretty excited Thanks for having me nah i'm dude super keen i was thinking about it last night that there were so many times that we would have walked past each other in the pits yeah. track walk you would have been talking to nate and like yeah. we just never really knew each other that well while we're, we're in the states or while i was in the states and it's like if I wouldn't had a crystal ball then to like think that we'd be sitting here having coffee and yeah, Burley crazy, talking yeah. in the studio would uh, yeah definitely would have surprised me that's for sure yeah when we first started chatting uh, a couple of weeks ago I guess um, it's funny you mentioned names like Nathan Ramsey and then we just talk about Nate Dog for twenty minutes and then mention Nevin and I'm like, no way I was good friends with him too and yeah it's like one of them things where you're right we probably passed each other a hundred times and. And, um, and now we meet and hang out and just so many things in common and, and, uh, our sport is so small, but yet again, it's 
like we never yeah. hung out you know we never i never really seen you you never really uh we never caught up while you're in the states but uh yeah cool to be here and catching up now well it's cool like i think that back then was different like from i was there from i guess like 2010 to 16 17 sort of thing and it's like i feel like in the last few years and we sort of talked about a little bit last night you've like found your identity like you sort of not that you would like blend in but it's like Mm -hmm. now you have like such a presence in the sport compared to back then which is super cool for a a guy that you know you saying last night like you were almost done so it's like to go from almost being done to now like really carving out the your own niche in the sport is super cool dude yeah yeah and and i did kind of blend in honestly i was a third to sixth place guy almost every week um you know i rode for several great teams in that era from 10 2010 was my first year in the 450 class for the jgr team i uh, rode for them for four years rode for factory honda for a year um but i was never the guy to i was never the championship guy or the guy that really stood out so i did kind of blend in and then you're right in um in 2016 i was it was either i was going to be done or i was going to carve out somewhat my own path of like i love riding motorcycles i love the sport i love supercross i love motocross it's what i've loved my whole life since i was three years old i couldn't stop watching uh supercross on tv like my parents would record it on the vcr and and it was Matasevich and and uh, Bradshaw and guys like that and then obviously McGrath and um, Carmichael and I just absolutely love it but what I didn't love was really the mental grind from from every weekend having to perform and even though I was I wasn't the guy winning every weekend there's still a lot of pressure to perform to be a, a fourth place guy or fifth place guy and get a ride for the next yeah, year it's just to keep your job kind just of thing. to keep your job yeah, yeah. and um, thankfully I was good enough to where every year I didn't have to stress that much but I was like what like the the pay scale is different right if I'm an eighth place guy compared to a fourth or fourth or um potentially winning or if I could get that win then you're you're paid off the potential to win again and yeah so there's so many different uh ways to look at it and and so many different things that I wanted to achieve that it's stressful just it's so mentally stressful and I'm pretty hard on myself anyways, um, put a lot of pressure on myself and I know my capabilities. So I always wanted to yeah. put in the most to achieve those goals. And, um, so yeah, in 2016 during motocross, I just, I had had enough and I was, I was telling you this story last night, but, um, I believe it was 2014 Unadilla. Um, I had a pretty good day. I was, I was top five and, and, um, I left there and I called my wife at the time and um, or obviously still my wife, but we had just gotten married in 2013 and I called her and I, I was crying. I was driving home by, or driving back to the hotel by myself. I had a fairly good day. I believe I went five, four, four, five, something like that. And, um, I was so fed up with it. I was just like, I, I'm just in this revolving, like just mess of, mm. I'm not happy. I didn't like motocross that much to, to be completely honest. I'd, I struggled with, um, and I enjoyed the suffering part, like the training of, mm. the, of motocross, because you can't hide on a motocross track 25 minutes in when it's 100 degrees outside. You can't hide. It's either you're in shape or you're not, and I love that part of it. But what I didn't love was 
we start riding supercross in september yeah start testing supercross in september then we do a few off-season races and and then we're at anaheim in january and then i put all my eggs into supercross always have i love supercross it's what i'm best at it's what i enjoy the most so i would put all my eggs in that basket and then come may i'm like totally worked mentally physically everything and then guess what you get a weekend off well you don't really get a weekend off because you're testing and training and um you know you're doing your 30 minute motos and you're trying to squeeze in all this stuff into such a small time frame and then you got to go line up at hangtown which is it's like i've never enjoyed that track i don't know what it is about that place i think it's probably just everything combined with with the the stress and and travel and everything and then all of a sudden you got to go line up and then it's all summer of just completely grinding so and even like not just the racing like i've said it before like just the traveling just being on a knowing like i used to dread thursdays Mm -hmm. that you'd have to get up super early you got to pack all your shit you got to get in the car you got to deal with traffic you got to fly you got to deal with cancel flight like that it's the whole (laughs) production like everything that takes place to go into those outdoors and they're not in like they're not in great place it's not metlife stadium you know like you're getting there then you gotta drive like yeah it's a huge ordeal sometimes find a gym if the hotel doesn't have a gym because you got to do a spin or a run or something like that and then you got to go drive an hour to an autograph signing then you got to find some place to eat dinner and then you got to wake up at 5 a.m to get to the track by 6 30 or so or, or do your morning warm up and then it's a long day at the race like it's just it's really really tough and what people see on TV is just the <clears throat> the part of it that I wish I could only do, right? I yeah. wish you could just show up and race your motorcycle and yep. it would be awesome. But it's everything from in between, which is why it's the hardest thing to manage, I guess. And it's what I wish the fans in our sport um, and, and the media is doing a better job, especially with social media and everything. Now you can actually see what goes on. Well, now you can say what goes on yeah, exactly. in your own words too. Yeah, yeah. And it, so it's a cool time to to show the, the fans and stuff and to have them, uh, you know, closer into your life. And, um, so yeah, I, I've, I just decided that year in, in 2016. So I, yeah, that I was driving home from Unadilla <clears throat> and then I still did two years of motocross, just kind of miserable. Sucker for punishment. Yeah. Yes. But it's just what our industry has taught us, right? Like you have to be in that, that revolving circle of you got to race supercross and you got to race motocross. That was really the only jobs available. Yeah. So you kind of had to do it. Yeah. The whole, the, the thing that's crazy is like, everyone says the same thing. Like, and it's not like this is a 2019 thing yeah, where everyone's yeah. saying the same thing. It's like, well, I, don't, I just don't know why it hasn't changed or like, where do, where do we go from here? Because it's like so many people say it and it's not yeah. dudes that have been little pussies and complaining mm-hmm. like it's the good dudes yeah. everyone says it we lose like you're friends with jimmy johnson like mm-hmm. can you imagine if he retired at 27 yeah it'd be crazy what? yeah no ever yeah. never not gonna happen yeah and nor do people want to like i'm 35 and i love it like i absolutely love it and i think if if people could take a step back or or try and create their own program like a like you see RV now coming back yeah. in. Like, I don't know if he wanted to be done when he was done, but he was probably just so mentally cooked that yeah. he didn't really have a choice. 
Um, and then I honestly believe Supercross and motocross are like playing football and baseball. Mm. Like it's it's two totally different sports. It's to, it's different bike setups, which now our bike setups are getting closer and closer together, which they shouldn't be. That's a whole different story about the GPs and why the guys in the GPs, I think, are doing better than the Americans in, in motocross because it's so specific. Yeah. Um, our, our, our motocross settings now are just basically roll your supercross bike out yeah. of the truck and put some softer springs in the suspension and you're pretty much good. Do you reckon that everyone runs <laughs> shit too stiff in America? For motocross, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that just seems to be like the thing. Yeah. Like, it's just everybody's bike is yeah. so stiff. Yeah, but we go, once again, we have one week. Yeah. We have one week from supercross that we rode from September to May. And now we've got one week to get on much softer suspension and then go to Hangtown. So you always you always kind of show up to the first round too stiff because yeah. if you go from your really stiff supercross stuff to your on the softer side motocross it's almost always like man this is way too soft i need to go stiffer need to go stiffer and then as you kind of get into the season it's like then you kind of find a happy medium so yeah i just think they're two totally different disciplines and um when i made that decision like i i loved racing i loved supercross but i knew that i had to make a change and um i just had had i was married i just had my daughter and um, I wanted to create, I've always thought about it and always talked about it to my close friends that I would love to do some sort of a global supercross program. There's so many supercross races around the world. Uh, one of my really good friends is Eric Pinard, who yeah. does Bercy in Geneva and the, the list goes on. He's, I mean, the, he's, man. he's the man, yeah, yeah. he's the man. Um, so had long conversations with him, like, hey, what do you think, does, would this work, would it not? And then. I, uh, how the Australia thing came about was 2010, I came over for Yamaha and did the first three races. So I was with JGR, but I think someone at Yamaha Australia reached out to someone at Yamaha America, like, hey, can we bring somebody over? Uh, they asked me, I said, absolutely, I'm in. So um, I kind of fell in love with Australia then doing the first three rounds and just something different. And the whole vibe of this country is just awesome. Like, I, I love being here. I love everything about it. So then when I left Australia and flew back to North Carolina where I was living, I met my wife two weeks after that. So Australia was really fresh in my head when we met. So we had always talked about it. So you go to Australia. You had like the Aussie swag. You're like, I got it because of the swag. I got it because (laughs) of the Aussie swag. Yeah, exactly. So it was so fresh in my mind that we talked about it a bunch. And then when those conversations were going on, I'd love to go back to Australia. I'd love to go race that series again. But it seemed like the series was strong then, 2010. Then it seemed like it kind of took a dip. You didn't really hear a lot about it, Supercross anyways. And then it was kind of clawing its way back when I got a message from Yuriv Konsky, who runs the Honda team here. And just by chance, I uh, we were out at the beach um, in North Carolina, and I wasn't much of a social media guru at the time. I didn't even know you could send messages on Instagram. <laughs> so we're sitting on the, on the patio. And That's because you're super married. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so my wife was talking to me about these messages that you could send or whatever. And I was like, yeah, I've never even seen those. So she gets on, I'm on, I'm like, hey, where are they? And I just, I had tons of messages, right? And the third one, that was Yuriv, who had just sent me a message like four days prior, three days prior. No way. So I just happened to click on it. And he said um, something along the lines of, hey, I run the Honda team. Would you ever be interested in coming over? 
And I was like, no way, this is like an amazing opportunity. This is, this is what we want. Like maybe I could do this and then maybe do something in, in America with, with Honda or, or whatever. So the first call I made was Dan Bentley, who was the team manager of factory Honda at the time. And, uh, so what year was this? This was 2016. Yeah. 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 So I had just had a big crash at Washougal. Um, so I, I took, um, I guess I was out for a few weeks and it was kind of like the point of no return. Like I'll never, I don't want to ever do motocross again because all the reasons we listed before. Yeah. And there was a pattern of me getting hurt towards the end of motocross, like the previous three years. And I don't think it was what do you reckon that was? I think I was just, just so tired. mentally tired. Yeah. I was so tired that you got to be so focused at the highest end of our sport. We're any to be the the highest level of any sport, you've got to be so focused and and I just wasn't. I was going through the motions. Yeah, cuz I can imagine that like if you haven't got the championship on the line, you're racing around for like mm-hmm. what six in the series, exactly, fifth yeah. in the series. Like yeah. what's the incentive there to yeah. really keep you on the ball right exactly yeah it's tough um so yeah i had a big crash there so um there's usually a break after washougal anyways there's a two-week break and so we had a beach trip planned and it was the perfect timing for it because i we had just sat down and um you know every night we just sit there and and just chat right and yeah we just said look i we've got to do something different and uh so i made that call to to american honda and they jumped all over it. They're like, absolutely, we'll we'll support you. Really? And um, and then the balls just started rolling. And literally a month later, I'm in California on a Honda uh, at the Honda test track. We had, um, well, and my mechanic Brent at the time was working for me at KTM. And um, we sat down and I said, look, I've got an opportunity to go to Australia, but I have nothing after that. I have no ride, but if you want to have this once in a lifetime experience, we can go to Australia for three months. We're going to do the, I think it was a six race series at that time. Um, you get to work on basically a factory Honda and we'll go to, a, um, California for two weeks and ride the bike. And then we're out, we're flying to Australia for three months. And, um, so yeah, he, he had an offer from several factory teams within the sport. And the more we talked, the more it was like, man, you only get one chance at this. You only get one shot at being young, one shot at traveling. He had always wanted to go to Australia. So that was a huge piece of the puzzle is to, to have him on board because it's, it's tough to show up in a different country with, with a new mechanic and, and different bikes. And then Honda, you know, they wouldn't want just anyone working on their stuff. And so, yeah, so he committed. Um, then, uh, yeah, the next thing, you know, we were in Australia, we shipped everything from, America and um, we were racing over here it it was crazy it was a crazy couple months of of my life and then still not having anything in America so when I left um, America to fly to Australia I had no ride no nothing I knew something would come about yeah but I knew that I wanted to somehow start this program and somehow and even if I didn't get a ride in America I was fine with it I was like look I'm gonna travel the world and we'll see what happens. So in your head, like even if you didn't get a ride in the US, you thought like, I'll do the Aussie thing. Hopefully I can win that championship. There'll be Mm -hmm. some bonuses or whatever that come with that. And then I'll just do races around the world that I want to do and just sort of chase the prize money and the appearance fees and stuff like that. 
pretty much yep and um thankfully i had enough saved up to where obviously i couldn't just retire and sit on the couch for the rest of my life but i was comfortable enough to to have a few years or to figure it out to figure out what's next and um and i know that i'm big on you only get one one shot you only get one chance to live this life and I want to enjoy it and especially yeah. when I had these opportunities like the one here in Australia with you Reeve I wanted to take full advantage of it and I didn't want to sit there and, and just kind of sit around and up around and wait for something to come up in America because honestly Supercross only rides in America are few and far between yeah um, so when the talks were kind of going on with Honda uh, in one of the conversations with Dan he said so what are you doing when you come back to America I said I have no idea I just know that I want to do this in Australia. And he goes, well, we want you on Hondas when you come back. So one thing led to another. They had some support uh, ready to give, like they needed or wanted another team. So we kind of put our heads together and said, All right, there's a list of four or five teams. Um, let's make some phone calls and let's see which one would fit me the best and Honda the best. And it ended up being... Uh, Mike Genova and, and Moto Concepts they were the kind of the perfect fit um, obviously came with some baggage and some um, you know I don't even know the right word for it but there there was some drama I guess surrounding those teams so I was a little hesitant Honda was a little hesitant but in all the conversations I had with Mike I had with with uh, Genova they were awesome he like, seems like a really good dude he's like such every, a good guy. i've only ever heard good stuff about he's him. a great guy and my parents always taught me like don't ever judge somebody by how someone else has judged yeah. them because you never know so that's how i went into it and um it, it all came together while i was here in australia while i was racing over here i was on the phone working deals and um kind of my own agent and and playing that role of between honda and Genova and then myself and so yeah so they ended up you know obviously now we know the story but they was the big hang up Alessi was that like the one of the big problems that was with a few sponsors but not really no not really um because he's actually a pretty good dude too Tony's a good guy yeah yeah Yeah, he's very misunderstood guy he is misunderstood I think where the most drama I guess comes in is with with his own sons just because and now me being a father I kind of get it. I mean, that's that's an extreme side <laughs> of it. I was going to say, that's taking it to Yeah, them. it's taking it to a whole other level. But I could kind of see where he's coming from a little bit. And if you know their whole story, the Alessi story, it's crazy. It's yeah. absolutely crazy of basically if we don't win this race this weekend, we're not eating next week. So kids, you have no choice. You have to go win the race. So we're going to do anything we can. We're going to cheat. We're going to do this engine. We're going to do that engine. We're like, it's pretty crazy. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> that's a, I mean, it's, that's a movie, it's wild. Hey? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I had nothing but great interaction with Tony and that's the one guy he's, I always said he's a racers team manager. Like, and what I mean by that is he'll do anything to make your motorcycle competitive enough to go win the races or to the best of our capabilities within the team and that team structure to go do the best we very can. So, um, yeah so then we landed so they ended up hiring brent as well who was my mechanic yeah. um that went to australia so the the pu- the pieces of the puzzle were just really falling into place and it took you know we had a short amount of time to do it um 
but yeah, it just, it all came together. And, and, uh, like I said, with Honda and Moto Concepts, and then I ended up winning the championship over here. Uh, so that kind of set me up and gave me some confidence for America. Uh, there's something about a Honda that has just always fit me. I grew up on Hondas and there's just something about me on that motorcycle that I just gel with and I picked right up where I left off uh, in, in 2012 on that bike and yeah kind of the rest is history what was it about Australia that you just were so into because like I've got a lot, a lot of American friends where if they can't get their Dunkin Donuts and if you know what I mean like they just like when we were, were in Costa Rica box, huh? <laughs> when we were in Costa Rica with Carmichael he was just looking for every hard rock every like just everything American that he could get and it's like that's I would say that is most Americans. So yeah. like to hear a guy like you that just like loves coming to other countries and living in other countries, like yeah. why, why do you think that you're so different in that? Because I'd say that's an outlier for an American. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I think it's part of it is my age. I've got to experience a lot of different things. And um, I think the older I've gotten, the more I have an open mind to stuff. Uh, and the food like I'm I'm kind of a foodie and and I love trying different foods you guys have some amazing food here I love all the little vibes of the the coffee shops and the cafes yeah. like I love that vibe it's and a, you're like, on the it's beach like culture, yeah it's so cool we don't really have that in America no and uh I've never been a huge fan of the beach but my wife is like she would just pitch a tent and live on the beach for the rest of her life like she'd be good <laughs> and she's kind of taught me really to enjoy that like I, I it's hard for me to be still yeah so and on the beach you don't really have a choice like you can't just be running around and jumping in the water and there's not much to do other than be still and and kind of be in the present moment so I've kind of learned that especially now that we've had kids it's so fun just to be on the beach and hanging out and just not really doing anything yeah and then hey I'm gonna go grab a, a coffee up at the cafe right across the street and it's just the whole vibe here is is awesome and I really enjoyed the people here. The people really genuinely like Americans. And with as much traveling as I've done, like Europe's not like that. No. It's just not like it's that. It's bizarre, right? Eh? It's crazy. Yeah. So when you go to a country that is welcoming and, and they hear your accent and, oh, so where are you from? And it just, it opens you up to a whole different perspective of other places. And, and it's just enough like America yeah. but it's yet so far away from yeah. like America that it's awesome yeah it's so awesome obviously there's not a language barrier uh there's a few words that you guys use that yeah, I still don't understand language barrier, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's so similar but yet it's so different and, yeah. I, and I love that about it I always thought that when I moved to America that it would be just like plug and play like mm -hmm. I'll just be me over there and like I guess I was me over there but everything was so different to what yeah. I thought and and I was like, man, there's so much more of a cultural difference. And especially, I think, in, like, humor. Like, mm -hmm. I think Australians have a pretty yeah. fucked up sense of humor yeah, yeah. at times. And, like, there was definitely there was definitely some places where I felt like I just stuck out like a sore thumb. And I was like, really? Like, I'm just sort of being, <laughs> you know, being yeah. myself. But there yeah. is a way bigger cultural gap mm -hmm. than what you think. But it's still the same in a way. Like yeah. you can still just function as a human for sure. Yeah. Without having to deal with any of the other BS in yeah. like a country that doesn't speak. I the think America is just more uptight. Like everyone I've met here in Australia, it seems like 
I mean, you could be in the elevator at a hotel with some random people and, and they'll joke with you about something or say a joke about your kid or it's just, it's funny humor. Yeah. Where America, some places, if you, if you did that, it'd be like, you'd get such a dirty look. And yeah, I think they don't take themselves as serious over here where America just seems like everyone has their, their destination where they're going that day. And that's the only thing that matters and get out of my way. Cause I'm going to that. They yeah. don't enjoy anything from A to B where here it's like breakfast people enjoy, like they're just in the present moment, I believe more than Americans. I'm not yeah. saying all Americans are like that, but the majority of places you go, it seems like no one's really in the present moment. And that's what I've enjoyed about here. Cause I wasn't like that. I really yeah. wasn't. I was so focused on my racing and that's the only thing that mattered and get out of my way because I need to go get X result this weekend. And that was going to be my whole identity was that number that I got on that weekend. Yeah. Which sucked. It sucks living like that because if you have a bad weekend and you get eighth and you got to live with that the whole week, it's just not fun. And your self-worth is tied to that number. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I've always tried to, I have a ton of friends still back home where I grew up from that's I'd say 95% of my friends that I talk to are my friends from high school or friends that I've grew up with because my identity is not tied to yeah my result on the weekend I can call them we can have a conversation uh they know me as a person before I was ever a racer where in racing you're so tied to that result. And that's a that's really not a great situation to be in. And honestly, Mike Genova has, he was big on that, that he didn't care the result. He really didn't. Of course he wanted to do well, to do but good. he wasn't gonna treat me any different if I won Daytona or if I got 12th at Anaheim. Like he really wasn't. And that's what was cool because almost every conversation I've ever had with him, we talk on the phone for anywhere from an hour to three hours. I know that when he's calling, I'm like, all right, I got to set aside some time because we're going to have some deep conversations. Yeah, It's never about racing. It's always about life. And I love that. I love talking about being a parent. I love talking about being a better person, being, um, it's fun to talk about being a better racer, but not just on the track. It's fun to talk about what's going to make me a better racer doing these things away from the track or mentally not worrying about that so much or like that's where the past four or five years have have really taken me is really not not being so concentrated on the number that I got on the weekend but more my effort and then how and my happiness that's really where the supercross only thing came from was I can control my happiness well you need to take control of it because you're only here for a short amount of time and if you're just going to be stuck in this miserable you know, circle of, oh, I got third this weekend, so I'm stoked and I'm happy and my life is better. Then all of a sudden you get seventh and your life sucks. Like, yeah. I hated that. And I wish more kids didn't have to live that. But I know it's a reality. It's a reality of sport. But I think there's a different way around that and, and certain things you can focus on and, and not be so in that mess. Did you start to did you just have like a change of thinking just about being like a a human in general as opposed to just like being a racer because the one thing with you that is like really striking is just like you know how you were saying last night like oh you feel like the aussie dudes don't have an ego you literally don't have any like shred of an ego at all 
and it's in, yeah. even like last night we were talking and the conversation got we got into like yeah talking about Charles and people we knew and Jay Wilson was there and like he was in the combo and you literally circled back to like make sure he was included back into the combo like that's the that's the hallmark of a person with like a lot more going on than just like one dimensional race like that's yeah like that's really thinking about other people and you're in these you know social circumstances like that's not yeah something that is common for a guy at your level I don't think yeah I think just because I've been I've lived it with with an ego and it doesn't work so there was a point that you did I think so I think you I think there's some truth in in to be at the highest level you kind of have to have some sort of an ego Mm -hmm. but you can detach from that and I don't think most people can detach from that because trust me when I line up I call it ego call it confidence call it cocky I don't know what the word is for it but I don't want to lose like I, I'm just as competitive as the next guy but detach from that like you don't have to act like that away from the track like when your helmet's on okay act a certain way and do a certain thing but I, I'm I, that has changed in me I would say um, when do you reckon that was well like when did you even become aware of it I would say 2010 when I first signed with JGR uh, I met a guy um kind of in and amongst some friends in North Carolina um a guy named Ryan Kelly who's who still helps me today we're business partners in in a few different things and um he really just kind of made me aware of kind of how I was acting um how and also actually uh Steve Hudson he was the the chaplain for Supercross and Motocross at the time yeah he would come to the JGR shop every Monday and and uh, so between those two guys they and, and I knew I had some sort of call it an issue or, or whatever, but I think it was just how I was raised. And we've always got, we've, we've all got our stories, right? Um, so it just got to be deeper for me and I got to look at, you know, certain things. And, and I was, I was a pretty, I wouldn't call it negative, but I was self-centered. I was, um, I had kind of a negative attitude and, and, I was so just like we said earlier, just so focused on that one thing and that one result, like, man, take a look around. Like you've got an amazing life. Yeah. And I think if you focused on how amazing your life really is, you might actually do better at the race Yeah. rather than be so just stressed all the time. Um, and then of course I, I met my wife Paige and, and you have kids and, uh, I started to read a lot, started to read books on psychology and why I'm acting certain ways and the childhood kind of reflex on, on the way you were raised and, yeah. um, yeah, just everything started to take a deeper look into yeah. myself and cause there was days, like I said, when, when I'm so focused on that result and you had bad results, I hated the way I felt. I didn't know how to get out of it though. I really didn't. I didn't know how I, like how that eighth place how do I, how am I not miserable? Like how, when I get on the plane the next morning, how am I not miserable from Sunday to the next time I line up on Saturday? Because I knew I didn't like that. And then, yeah, so things just started to change since then. It's a lot of work to be honest. I mean, it is a lot of work, but gosh, it's so worth it when you can just be a little more free. Yeah. And there's times when I still get stressed and, and 
I've got a family to support now. I want to make them proud. I want to make them happy, but also know that it doesn't matter if I win the race or get 12th or, or what, or if I don't race at all, Mm. that's, what's cool is, is the people I have around me now, they don't, they just want me to be happy. And that was kind of like my, or what I, what I set out to do with, with Ryan and, and, um, so what is, what does he do? Like, does he have any background? In yeah, that he has or? a psychology background. Yeah, okay. Um, but he's just kind of a life coach. Yeah. Kind of a, I know people laugh at that term, but I actually think it's really important to have, or a mentor, or yeah, life I think coach, me- whatever yeah, you call it. Yeah, mentors are definitely, yeah. A, yeah. Um, so yeah, he he definitely taught me a lot. And there was times when I would fight back, like, man, I'm not doing that. Like, that's... It's hokey and weird. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. But none of it's weird. Like, all of it was just it's such basic stuff like we actually talked about that on the way over this morning is when you start to search and look for like just crazy weird stuff to make you happy or or even on the motorcycle like or the training side of it yeah like i see some people do just some crazy weird stuff that man you're just searching because almost always the basics yeah the basics of life the basics of relationships the basics of riding a dirt bike it's usually what works and you hear a lot of people say oh man i just got back to the basics well why you why were you out in left field searching in the first yeah. place you know so it's i think it's always good to have a, a mentor or some friends that you can kind of bounce different yeah. ideas off of or or people that can see life through a little bit different lens than you're looking through um because yeah we can get caught up in it and um my wife's helped a ton we can really separate racing now she doesn't she doesn't not saying she doesn't care she obviously cares about my racing but yeah she doesn't care you know yeah, what i mean yeah, like yeah. she could care less if i you know yeah she just, she just wants she just me wants to be, be happy. happy about it exactly. yeah, yeah yeah it's funny when you say that like we jay reinenberg he's definitely jay is one of my guys where like even though he's i think he's a year younger than me even but he's just the way he was raised he was raised so different to me he was an only child and he spent a lot of time with his parents who were super smart and like i lean on him for a lot of stuff and like Mm -hmm. he he would always say man like you get people that focus on one percent to try and fix the 99 percent yeah as opposed to the people that would put the effort in the 99 percent and then who cares about the one percent yeah like it it just doesn't matter that you've got what brand of uh, BCAAs you've got over yeah. you know yeah, like, exactly. because it's like if yeah. you've done the 99% right you yeah. know, it's sort of the rest should just follow right mm-hmm. yeah, but it's, it's so sort true. of more sexy to follow like weird shit around mm-hmm. and like hire some weird guy because yeah. you could kind of see that with like Conor McGregor like you I don't know if you follow fighting or whatever not but it's much like, but a little as bit, he yeah. got to like the top of Conor McGregor he started doing like animal movements and like all this like super weird shit and yeah. you're like bro all you've got to do is knock this dude out yeah like yeah. I don't I don't know that it, you need to mm-hmm. walk around like a leopard for nine minutes yeah in the morning yeah <laughs> sort kind of like it. the diet thing right like everyone's searching for the next new diet well it's really simple yeah. eat clean eat your vegetables eat your fruits like it's not rocket science, but everyone's looking for the easy way out of yeah. all right, what's going to work or, all right, I'm going to follow this one for two weeks and then, then you're not going to follow that anymore. And the same with training and it's kind of same with everything where, yeah, just the basics, man, just get yeah. back to the basics and don't overcomplicate stuff and just try and 
be happy yeah do you have like like uh basics of life like if you could write a book that would be like justin brayton's life 101 basics (laughs) like what would be like your go-to that you've kind of figured out that works for yourself nowadays i think the biggest thing with with almost everything in life is communication between people or your spouse or your your team or or whatever it is if you're not communicating <clears throat> by how you feel or, or it's with every like for my wife and I if we don't communicate just stuff gets off off track you know yeah and I'm not one to communicate that was my biggest struggle in the beginning was I'll just hold it in yeah and then one day I might explode or I might just start acting a little different or yeah or whatever so what now, do you reckon that was I don't know I, I really don't I I think it's just yeah just because I've I feel like I've done it myself in my way like I've gotten yeah. here by myself and I've never been one to rely on someone else for something because i didn't want a control want freak you reckon yeah a little bit stuff? yeah yeah for sure yeah because i've never wanted to have to blame someone else if it didn't yeah. work i want to look myself in the mirror and like it's because of you yeah and also i wanted the six like the success yeah to come because of how i did it or the way i did it and like the trainer thing like i i trained i've had a couple trainers but not to the extent where they control everything because I've never wanted to not get the results or not be in the shape that I think I needed to be in because of someone else. Yeah. I struggle with that. I yeah. really do. Uh, once again, it's not that difficult to be in good enough shape to do 20 laps on a motorcycle. It's just not. It's, yeah. it's people overcomplicate it. And so if if I was do, doing certain types of training, I'm paying someone 60 grand or 80 grand to train me a certain way. I would never want to have that excuse of, well, he trained me the wrong way or I was lifting weights because he told me to and I shouldn't have been on this day or that day or, and not saying my way's right by any means. I mean, but at least least I had myself to to be accountable. The thing that I feel like with me is that I'm so, it's so much easier for me to be like really pissed off at myself than someone else. Yeah. So I think that's what, like, my control freak side mm-hmm. of it. Like, I'd rather grind myself into the ground, yeah. work, and then pass it off or whatever yeah. to so somebody kind of else. Yeah, because, yeah. like, but I, for me, I think it was more like I just I just don't want to be mad at other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I just found it way easier just to be mad at myself. Yeah, yeah. But then I feel like that comes with some... There's some baggage with that, Yeah, too, there's yeah. some baggage there mm-hmm. when you get in a pattern of, like, being bummed on yourself yeah. if that makes sense yeah and with a lot of things in life you have to learn to trust other people right and that's tough for me as well it's tough for me to trust people i think with you know stuff that happened maybe in my childhood i just didn't i didn't want to trust anybody so then i just i'd do it myself i'd train myself i'd take care of literally just trying to do everything myself and i'll still find myself in that trap a little bit like all right well if they're not going to do it the right way then i'll just handle it myself and yeah. make sure it's done the right way even though i've got 15 other things to do today i'll just try and get it all done yeah and even whether it's racing stuff away from racing whether it's parent like just anything i, I get that way and i know that's it's a strength and a weakness though so i have to balance it out what was it like for you growing up like 
how did you get into racing and was that like kind of hard to make happen or well i grew up in iowa so you can only ride for about six or seven months of the year anyways yeah which is i believe why i'm still racing now but um so yeah my dad got me into it he he rode just kind of casually and um, bought me a bike for christmas when i was three and i started racing when i was four just like local fairground and my grandpa would take me riding and and um then my parents split when i was I believe around seven or eight um so i always had a bike in the garage but i just never really had anyone to take me so yeah played baseball played football wrestled, wrestled. kind of did every other sport and then my mom met my stepdad when i was uh, around 12 and he had a four-wheeler so he would take me riding we would just go really just cruise around and i was terrible like if people saw me ride when i was 11 12 13 they would just they would just laugh so he started taking me riding and then um he bought me a a cr80 and kind of just started going more and more and practicing and then he was like all right let's go do a couple races and and next thing you know a couple years later we're at loretta lens and i was top five in the 80 class and we had no idea how good or bad i was we were just like, all right, we've heard about this race called Loretta Lynn's in Tennessee. <laughs> heard about it. We're going to borrow. Seems like people go. <laughs> yeah, we're going to borrow a friend's motorhome and a trailer, and we're going to go down there and check this place out. Well, I ended up getting fourth, and so I think that kind of sparked an interest for my parents. They, uh, for my mom and stepdad, Shad, was like, all right, we're going to give this kid everything because he loves it so much. And the biggest thing that, Shad, my stepdad would always teach me is, look, we'll give you everything we make. We'll max out credit cards. We'll do whatever if you're going to give it a hundred percent. And they saw how much I truly loved it. Cause it, I mean, I did, that's all I wanted to do. I did play other sports all through school, but were you good at other sports? I actually was. Yeah. Like that's it. My friends laugh because I can go play golf tomorrow and shoot yeah. an 80 and, and not have played for, you know, a year and a half. Um, or just kind of every like funny Ramsey story is he oh, he talks about ping like pong that, for, he's like that he is so so when he would come sports. stay with me in North Carolina we'd play ping pong and I've never seen him so mad because I would <laughs> just uh, if we played 100 games I'd beat him 98 and he <laughs> hates it because he's actually pretty good he's good at everything yeah dude. he's the same way so um, yeah but it's the one thing that always that like riding motorcycles trumped everything else yeah i did everything because i liked it and do you reckon it. that there was a part of you that like that whole control thing to where you just didn't want to play team sports yeah i do yeah yeah and that's why i loved wrestling so wrestling was kind of and growing up where i did in <coughs> iowa that like wrestling you, you yeah midwest sort of. yeah you need yeah. to be a wrestler that was like i don't know if you heard of dan gable but he yep. was the um one of the best wrestlers ever and is that why they call from, it a gable grip yeah like, yeah do that. yeah yeah that. that's from from dan gable yeah yeah, yeah right uh so I he was the coach at university of iowa and yeah. obviously a, a amazing wrestler but um so how yeah, far did you was, get into wrestling um like did you do it like pretty school. serious like you yeah. were doing like gnarly weight cuts and shit for oh yeah competitions oh, yeah. yeah remember that stuff oh yeah absolutely we were just telling that story the other day um how, what was that like I loved it. Yeah. I loved that. I, I mean, I loved... Because if you like to grind, wrestling is the sport. It, yeah. 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 You'd be, 
you know, eight or 12 pounds over and got to cut that weight and How wear were you doing plastics. back then? Like the plastic bags and just jogging yeah, around? Yeah, plastic bags. But also one of my friends had a, he had a sauna in his basement that we put a, a bicycle in and he had a, a boxing bag as well. Yeah. So we would just sit in there and cut weight or go to the local YMCA. It's like a gym. Yeah. And sit in the sauna and then run. And yeah, it was crazy. There's something then, cool remember, about like the the bond that you've got with guys in totally. like You're the wrestling in the room because yeah. you just mm-hmm. like I I think like some of the boys here even get a bit pissed off for like how much time I spend with my jiu-jitsu yeah. boys but, but it's like you don't get it like yeah. we're fucking bashing <laughs> each other like yeah. there's such a like a mutual respect that you get and mm-hmm. then when you know the boys are cutting weight you want to go in the sauna with them or yeah. when they're you know getting ready for a comp like you'll just be a punching bag mm-hmm. for him like there's a cool bond that gets for formed, sure huh? yeah yeah and it's why most people when they retire from sport or whatever they're doing they always say hey what do you miss the most i miss the boys like mm. i miss the locker room i miss the track days the long test days like you'd miss those things you don't miss the races that you win or have won or you don't you don't really miss those days you just miss the camaraderie like i know the one thing that i'm gonna miss the most is the test track days like yeah just hanging out with the boys and you're doing motos together and it's just so fun so fun um but going back to the wrestling thing i remember nights when i would get home from wrestling and my mom would have a can of green beans like that's all i could eat was just that can of green beans because i had weigh-ins in two days or whatever it is so uh yeah just interesting times and uh, but that was my favorite was was wrestling because it was so similar to moto yeah it was really simple you work this hard you're gonna get this result you work this hard, you're going to get that result in yeah. moto or I, I guess business or life is kind of that way anyway. Yeah. But those ones you couldn't hide. You couldn't like if you played baseball, you yeah, you might strike out four times in a row and you might miss a catch in the outfield and you might still win the game and you're yeah. still celebrating. Well, you didn't do anything to win the game. You know what I mean? So yeah. I didn't really like that feeling or you could be the opposite. I could hit four home runs and make some crazy plays and you might lose the game still. So yeah, it was totally out of your control where wrestling or like you and jujitsu is just straight up one-on-one. You can't hide. If you've done the work, it's going to show if you haven't um, same in a, in supercross, you know, the last five laps or your bike setup or all of it. Like if you haven't done your work, there's no hiding. Yeah, and there's a weird thing about the, like, level of accountability mm-hmm. of putting yourself just by yourself. Like, especially, I'd say more so in, like, a wrestling or a jiu-jitsu sense because it's literally just two dudes on a mat. Yeah. And it's like, one dude's going to win, one yeah. dude's going to lose, yeah. and everyone's watching you. Totally, and it's like, yeah. it's a if weird worked, experience, like, huh? Oh, that sucks. Yeah, and it's so you weird. work harder, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, weird yeah. to, like, have that headspace, but then, mm-hmm. like, voluntarily do it. I always wonder about, like, the headspace that you've got to be in to voluntarily put yourself in front of all of those people in a 50 50 chance Mm -hmm. and then like you don't even know how good the other dude is like he could be so much better than you and you've like literally don't even have a chance yeah (laughs) yeah i think that's a unique part of um i guess just us right like a lot of people don't want that they don't want to put themselves out there that much to do a sport that's one-on-one um nothing against those people but But i just think think it takes a I don't know. I've never thought about it It, because I've known no different. Like I've never been on the other side of the fence. So I kind of think it's weird not to feel that way. So yeah, but I I guess the, the pressure of if you do lose, you're judged. 
um, maybe di- people have a different mindset of when when they do lose on the way people are going to treat them or or whatever which is part of the reason of what we talked about earlier your identity and yeah. winning or losing or eighth or tenth or um, some people just don't want to face that fear I guess um, I, I love facing it and I still get to face it almost every weekend uh, but I just have a different way of going about it if I don't achieve the result or if I'm one-on-one and I lose I have a different outlook and, and way of processing it and moving on and kind of leaving it there um, for you maybe just leave it on the mat and that's that where it's hard to do though yeah do you think that by doing that kind of stuff like right still racing and like putting yourself out there and like trying to achieve these like just dude to win a freaking supercross is like almost impossible right mm-hmm. like 19 dudes won't do it yeah one dude will and yeah. it's like but obviously like you get something out of it that keeps you coming mm-hmm. back and, and i think it's interesting what you're saying before it's like you've won races you've been on podiums but the stuff that you miss is the track days mm-hmm. but that is kind of that's like a metaphor for the whole enjoy the pro it's like the process yeah. not the yeah the destination right because mm-hmm. it's like that's the sort of that's the thing is like you yeah. do enjoy the process of it yeah. and it's like if you can get to a point where you enjoy the process and the results sort of like mm-hmm. like it's kind of what you it's like your guidepost but it's yeah. not the thing that you live and die by right yeah for sure and that's over the years that's the most fun part the process of of trying to achieve what you're after right and yeah th- those are the days that i i don't take for granted uh, especially now that I know of who knows how many more years I've got to race. And so, yeah, just being in the grind with your fellow competitors or training mates or coach or whatever it is, uh, the process is, man, it's just so fun. And to have goals, right? Like I, I can't believe I, I, it would be a bummer to not have that, to not have that carrot out in front of you to yeah. chase, to not have those goals to, all right, here's a, here's a roadmap of how, I think and my team thinks we're going to achieve these results. Let's try and get there. Yeah. But it's four months. Or I actually said to you last night, I said my 2020 Supercross season started in June for yeah. me. Like that's how long it takes to be prepared. And I've had years in the past where I think the question you asked was, can you kind of uh, enjoy Australia or be on more of a holiday yeah, than normal? Yeah. Well, the answer was I've it's been kind of split the first year I was here it was basically a holiday and I paid for it in supercross season in America the next year I fully just buckled down and it was just full-on training and and I had maybe the best season I've ever had um last year was kind of in the middle like we've kind of holiday kind of <laughs> uh train and then and ended up getting sick so it was a real struggle and once again I paid for it in America this year I've, it started in at the end of June of preparing and, and then the, um, and I think you can kind of see it in, in my riding and training and mindset. And, um, we've done everything we can for our immune system to be boosted this year for me and, and my wife and kids. And, um, so yeah, it, it, it's a long process, but that's, that's the fun part. And the thing is, you don't even know for sure if it's going to work and it's, that long of a process but you just know I've, I've just taken 
stuff that I've learned throughout the years. And once again, go back to the basics. It's not rocket science. You kind of get there and and take that road that you believe is going to work for you and get after it. When you um, when you did that first Loretta's, was that like the first time where you went, okay, I could be a professional at this? Because you've probably got one of the gnarliest, most roundabout stories to being a factory Honda rider in 2019 mm-hmm. of, yeah, of yeah. anybody. Like it's such a crazy story to come from where you come from. Like it, yeah. it, it might even be underappreciated, bro. Like yeah. It probably uh, is underappreciated. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had, I, being a professional supercross racer wasn't even on the radar. It seemed like where I grew up, arena cross was the big thing because the opener of the arena cross series was in Des Moines, Iowa every year. Uh. So guys like Jeremy McGrath and those guys that I watched on TV uh, at the supercrosses were just complete cartoon characters. They were, did they exist? I don't know. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah. it was that far fetched for me. Yeah. So it was almost like I couldn't even dream that big. That's how far away it was. And then I got to, to go to the arena crosses a, a couple of times. I'd race amateur day and then we'd go Saturday night to watch the race. So I looked up to, uh, one of the guys I looked up to grew up in the same town. It was Chad Pedersen. Yeah. He rode for pro circuit for a couple of years in supercross and he was winning arena crosses. And then uh, like Denny Stevenson and Buddy Antonez and, like those were the guys that I looked up to because that seems so cool. Yeah. Budman's <laughs> awesome. I mean, Budman's single-handedly one of the biggest reasons why I'm sitting in this chair talking to you today was fast forward a little bit, uh, in arena cross, I ended up being teammates with him oh. and, um, he took me under his wing and saw something that I didn't even see. And, um, well, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. What really made me realize that I could potentially do this was I was a senior in high school and we showed up to the Des Moines Arena Cross for my first ever pro race. And it was... Were you just the star of school at that point? Or did uh, no one even know you were doing not it? Not even... They didn't even really know. I mean, my close friends did, but yeah, yeah I'd race local races and win and whatever, but it wasn't that big of a deal. The, yeah. the bigger deal was the high school quarterback or yeah, the yeah. good baseball player, you know? Yeah. Uh, Which was Nate Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so I showed up, we just showed up out of the back of a box fan. And when I say I was on a stock motorcycle, I was on a stock motorcycle with stock pipe, stock suspension, what block is it? uh, Hondas. So I was supported by a local Honda dealership, Storm yep. Lake Honda in Iowa. And, um, uh, we showed up and I was throwing up in my helmet during practice. I was so nervous. Really? And, uh, it was the year Damon Bradshaw came back. So it, it was just, there was a lot of guys. I mean, the list was long that year of Stevenson and uh, Budman and Bradshaw and a lot of Supercross guys would come race because it was in November. Yeah. So I ended up being fastest in practice. Uh, and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, I think there was almost 200 entries to that race. And um, so it's faster than Damn, that's a, lot of he- a lot of my heroes. And we went there thinking I wouldn't even qualify. We'll just get some experience. It'll be cool to race in front of a crowd. Yeah. So then the heat race, uh, I hole shot, Bradshaw passes me. I pass him back and win the heat race. And there's still no a photo. Shit. Yeah, there's still a photo of me where it says the rookie passes the veteran. And I, I give Bradshaw crap to this day because I just, I mess with him about it. And um, the main event, I led the main event for a little bit, ended up crashing. I think I got sixth or seventh that night. And right then uh, I was like, 
for one, maybe I'm better than we think. For two, these are my heroes. Like I was faster than my heroes. I was completely out of shape. Like I had no business doing 20 laps on an arena cross track because I didn't really know what training was at the time. And, and, um, so yeah, then fast forward a couple of years, I ended up getting rookie of the year that year in arena cross. Then I graduated high school. My parents basically said, uh, we'll support you for a year. So I moved to California. I loaded up a U-Haul by myself. Didn't know anyone in California. Drove out there and lived with a guy that my parents actually graduated high school with from, from Iowa. He lived in Anaheim and, um, some, friends in and amongst uh, our family kind of lined that up. So I called him and said, Hey, you sure you don't mind me sleeping on your couch for a few months? He said, no, absolutely not. So I loaded up a U-Haul and I cried for probably four hours of the first four hours of the drive. This 24 hour drive from where I lived. Um, I was leaving everything I thought at the time, right? I had a high school girlfriend. I had um, my, my family, everything was comfortable. I was winning local races and now I'm going out into this big world of Southern California. So yeah, so I loaded up and I rode Lake Elsinore every day and, and, um, and uh, ended up the, that next year being teammates with Buddy Antones. And Bud, man, totally took me under his wing and uh, we just had so much fun. I was teammates with uh, Buddy Antones and Brad Hagseth that year and those two guys still to this day are two of my favorite people. I just, I learned so much from them. I was 19 or 20, maybe even 21. I forget, but, uh, and hanging out with these two guys in arena cross, like I just learned so much good and bad. <laughs> I learned yeah. some things, what not to do and, and most things what to do. And, uh, then in 2004, uh, Phil and Rod became available with the, what is now Geico Honda. Um, the factory connection Honda team at the time, Bud man called me and said, Hey, I just got a call from Eric Kehoe. They're doing a tryout this week. It was the week after the final round of arena cross. Yeah. And, um, you should come out and at least try. And I had never ridden a supercross track before. Uh, so when I would race arena cross, I'd literally just show up and we would just race, you know? And most of the time it was when I, I was, um, off the couch because I couldn't ride in Iowa. Yeah, because of the winners. Yeah, because the winners. Uh, no, but when I was in Southern California, we'd just ride. Like I'd ride Lake Elsinore motocross track and then go race arena cross on the weekend. So Budman uh, took me to the Honda test track. And um, yeah, I had a tryout and I'll never forget it. I mean, it was like yesterday, but I was riding uh, Billy Leninovich's practice bike and the team was out there and they... Uh, I remember the suspension guy after I did some, some laps, he's like, all right, can you do 15 laps? And I was like, Oh my gosh, this <laughs> <No>. is, <laughs> this is going to be bad. So I just, I kind of gutted through it and got done and they said, all right, you want to race St. Louis this weekend? And I said, heck yeah, really? So they just had me out there. I don't know if guys rode the bike the day before or what, but, um, so I ended up getting that fill in ride and, um, I flew out the next day to St. Louis Supercross. And it was when they had Friday practice and Saturday race. So I remember getting all my gear and helmet and everything shipped to the hotel. And, um, I put on all my stuff. I was going to say, yeah, it was was amazing. It was amazing. But what's crazy is that feeling still hasn't went away. I'm 35. When I get new gear and new helmet, new boots, like I just, I froth on it. Like I, I love that. 
Um, so yeah, Budman got me that kind of first fill in ride, and then he was kind of like my acting agent for a while because he was in that yeah that kind of field of work, and um, ended up getting a two year deal with Motor World. It was Motor World Suzuki at the time, but that fill in ride uh, helped me get that. Do you remember the first like your first laps around the Supercross track? Yeah, yeah, I was like a fish out of water. Yeah, did it yep. feel super weird? Yeah, super weird. Uh, and then, I mean, for half the day, I didn't even jump the triple. Really? Yeah. Well, that was so. The day before I did the the tryout thing, Budman brought out his two fifty uh, four stroke practice bike for me to ride on the track, just to kind of get the track down. And um, yeah, it was bad. It wasn't that good. <laughs> it wasn't that good at all. But I, <laughs> I, I just quickly learned. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I quickly learned kind of how to do it, and and um, yeah, just the jumping and stuff kind of came natural to me. It was more the timing of it. Like, wait, so I got to jump from here to there, and I can't over jump it, and I can't under jump it. Yeah. Like, All right. So it was cool to have a, a kind of a coach and a teacher in Budman. I was gonna he had say, been like, there, and yeah, done that, and yeah, yeah, because he is a, he's still like a really good coach now. He's awesome. Right? Yeah. 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 I worked with him. Uh, so yes through my supercross days and then he ended up um i forget how but somehow he said basically hey i'm not going to be able to work with you next year i think he was working with tomac and a couple other guys and that he just didn't really have room so he's like i think you would fit well with nathan ramsey oh, and i, I always how, yeah. yeah that's how the ramsey connection came about and i always had tons of respect for nate dog more for the way he is off the track more than was, on the motorcycle. I was going to say, like, it's kind of crazy that you two got together because, like, I just... You remind me of him so mm-hmm. much. Like, when, I, when I'm when i talking to you, I feel like yeah. there's that connection back yeah. to Nate Dog because he was so influential in, mm-hmm. in my life in America. Like, we used to call him my American dad. Yeah. Like, he yeah. would just pick up the pieces that I would yeah. leave. And he's so everywhere. caring, huh? Like, yeah. he he would drop if he had a hundred things going on he would yeah. drop all hundred and pick you back up if you needed pick back up and uh so we clicked right away we just man we had so much fun together and if he wasn't with ktm i'd still be working with him today yeah we just we would be between him and Budman. those two guys are just for one two of my favorite guys but also very very smart like they're smart guys mm. and um i try to emulate nate dog on a daily basis from um just life like he's 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 got it figured out on how to how to navigate life yeah and he's one of those people that is so so genuine yeah like there's just no you know like he'd drop a hundred things for you like Mm -hmm. there's definitely people like that that they still would drop all hundred things to help you out but then you'd hear about it yeah totally like he there's just not even that with him yeah like there's just Mm-hmm. there's something so like he's like a monk sort yeah. of type dude almost and like the way that he the way that he talks to people the way that he handles situations like mm-hmm. he is definitely a, a if you want to aspire to be like anybody yeah he's definitely the kind of I guy think a lot of people don't know that about him though huh? like you gotta kind of know him to figure that out he's not gonna well that's because he won't tell you exactly yeah and he's the type of guy that i never needed to impress where mm. i think a lot of riders and and uh, even to their mentors or coaches, like you're always looking to impress them. Where Nate, I could, I could cry to him. Mm. We could laugh. We could like just anything. I could be a human being, I guess, to Nathan Ramsey. And I didn't have to just be the racer. And even with Budman too, same thing. Like 
if we're driving to the track, we're not talking about my schedule that day at the track. We're not talking about things we're going to do that day. We're more talking about your marriage and how to be a better person and your experiences Mm -hmm. in the past of certain things. And I love that. I love getting deep with people about life because I just think you learn so much from Mm -hmm. that and, and you can, it brings everybody down to the same level rather than just talking about how fast you were, how good you can hit this corner or how fast you are in the whoops. Like, yeah, we'll just, we'll go show everybody on Saturday. But in the meantime, let's talk about what's going on how's your marriage? How, mm. how the kids doing? How's, how's things going? Are you struggling in any areas? Are you, you know, like that's the stuff that I really like to dig into because mm. if you can dig into that, it's going to make you such a better racer. I don't think people dig into that enough. Uh, even just in general, whether you're a businessman or, or anything, an athlete, I think digging into the, the core of mm. yourself is it's so good to do. Yeah, it's, and I enjoy it. it's a super rewarding experience. And like mm-hmm. I was, I've been thinking about it a bit lately. And I mean, the, our, like this show sort of goes there a lot of times, I think, because it's something that I'm super interested in as well. But I, I definitely think that there's an element of like all the friends that I'm really close with, like no, and no matter how long I've known them for, like it, it, this isn't a gauge of like how long we've been friends. Mm-hmm. But if somebody is going to be vulnerable and share things with me about themselves that they're going through that are like like deeper than you know just like oh yeah how's this how's that it gives you like a sense of um i don't know it's like there's like a certain trust that comes from that Mm -hmm. and then there's a real connection that gets made when you're like willing to be vulnerable and tell people real shit I, don't, I, don't, I feel like yeah. it just sort of dissolves a bunch of the surface level stuff because I feel yeah. like we all kind of do crave that in mm-hmm. a way but I think the people that sort of don't do that maybe are worried about being judged for it for or sure, I yeah. don't know yeah and I think if you're the person to bring it up and especially in a situation that we're in or you're on such a big platform with this podcast or if I can do an interview and and you know share some of my weaknesses with people it automatically brings people to your level mm. and and I, I love that like just I could tell right away we haven't known each other long but just last night the conversation like we could have surface level conversation of you ask me a question I have an answer mm. and then you have a question of well why do you think that is mm. and then we talk about that and then you get deeper deep, like I love that mm. because there's always a surface answer hey how you doing I'm good mate how are you mm-hmm. good no you're not you're not really doing yeah you're like what what's going on they're like what's on your mind yeah, yeah exactly and then you can talk about it and then it's so relatable because we're all going through it yeah. we're all in it together we're all in a in this one big struggle maybe not the same struggles but yeah. we're all dealing with it it it's doesn't like matter different if versions of the same one, struggle yeah, and and we kind of talked about it as well last night just some of the most successful people in the world have deeper struggles than you could ever imagine mm. and that's helped me a lot with being friends with some of my idols of like, man, wait, what? When you were winning all those times or you did this, you were going through that. Like, really? Yeah. No one would ever know that. So just we're all human beings and it it kind of just it makes you so much more relatable to everyone. And, and I think that's the, the best part about it. Like I just I love getting in those deep conversations and um, yeah, because we're not all yeah we're doing good but 
we're all in a struggle as well and it's good to learn from people too like even um just the last couple of like the last couple of weeks there's been some fucking awesome guests on where i've like i've learned a lot Mm -hmm. and even this process like it is a big platform now and i'm not used to this many people looking at me yeah and like this is what it is like the podcast is like me you josh is in here mixing it that's it there's four people yeah but then like a hundred thousand people will look at this and that's like that's a weird thing Mm -hmm. to deal with you know so it's like for me i'm yeah i'm doing the podcast but i'm really like what i'm really doing is like i know that you're coming in here today and i've got to do this conversation Mm -hmm. but i'm really just trying to learn shit from you that can help me yeah just get through the process of even recording this and like putting it out to the world and having that you know those met that that many people looking at you or listening to you like it's a i think that's why you've been successful and why you'll continue to be successful is because you can be relatable i've listened to several of your your podcasts and it's fun because it's so it's 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 relatable but it's just you do learn a lot but it's no BS. It's not in here talking. We're not just talking about the races I've won so mm. far in Australia. And we're not just talking about Daytona. We're talking about life. Like, I, and, I, and I love that because I race motorcycles for 20 minutes a week. Yeah, yeah Maybe. And some on the weekends off, you don't have anything. Yeah. What, what's in between that? Yeah. What, what do you think about when you're at the semi-truck in between races? What, what's your home life like? Like, what, what's your thought process all week? And and um so i love taking a deep dive in that and that's what we talked about earlier what ryan kelly has helped me so much with was mm. just kind of that navigating through my thoughts um your thoughts precede feelings like it's just a snowball effect and mm. you got it you have the power to stop that and then being in control of your happiness like a lot of people don't think they have control like it's your choice man yeah it's totally your choice you want to be happy or not yeah okay if you want to be happy then let's take the steps to be happy yeah if you don't sorry man do you like know you've got like, a choice do you know why you were negative before you sort of went into like this way of thinking mm, uh, i mean not really like i can't pinpoint one thing um but i think just probably my childhood and like with your parents like, splitting up yeah, and stuff yeah and i i got to see my mom like my mom's like me like sh- she had three kids um she left my dad at the time we lived in my aunt and uncle's garage and she worked two jobs and we rode the bus to school like she just made it happen and i got to see that so i'm like get out of my way like yeah. i'm gonna be like that i'm gonna make it happen and so seeing that and going through all that stuff, I think is one of the reasons why, because I would get negative on people that would, people that were too positive. I didn't like being around them. I'm like, <laughs> man, everything can't be that good. Yeah. And, but now I've kind of realized like, you don't have to be too positive, but you can be positive. You, yeah. you have a choice of, the and way that I didn't think. realize the way I thought made me feel the way that I did. Yeah. I just thought I was having those thoughts and get out of my way and I'm gonna act a certain way and but like I said earlier that's a strength as well it's just the way that you balance the way it. that you balance yeah. it and when do you tap into that strength and when do you not and I think that's what I've balanced over the last four years and um being married because there is days where 
I'm like, okay, get out of my way because I'm getting stuff done today. Yeah. Or at the races, like when my helmet goes on, it's on. Like I, I'm not a dirty rider at all, but like I, I want to get the job done. Yeah. And the thing too, like I suppose, like it, well, it's not like it's been easy for you either. Like it's been mm-hmm. a, a like a hard road to get to where you are. And I know even in your personal life, you've had like yeah. some hard shit go down so like mm-hmm. it would be kind of easy like to be negative with like a bunch of and like again like you were saying you know say whether it's Villapoto or Dungey like they've all got their own shit like yeah, yeah they won sure. all, all the titles but like mm-hmm. in between that it's like it's not like it was easy to be them yeah. but it was like you were dealing with that stuff and you weren't winning the championship yeah, so yeah. it's like yeah, exactly. I could see why yeah. you get you could be in like a negative headspace when mm-hmm. Like you're just in a pressure cooker of a deal, yeah. the sport that you're in, you could lose your life at the drop of yeah. a hat. Like it's a pretty gnarly, like mm-hmm. you guys are just living your life at 14,000 revs, yeah. dude. Like yeah. and it just doesn't stop. Yeah. And I love my story though. And I think most people like their, their own stories, but I love my, the road mm. that I had to take to get here. And, you know, I think you look in certain sports, like if you look at, Michael Jordan, he probably wouldn't make a very good coach or some of the best riders or some of the best, um, athletes, they don't make good coaches. Yeah. I honestly believe, and I don't know if I'll ever go into that, but I think through all my struggles, I'll be a better coach or mentor than I ever was a racer. Yeah. And, and I think riders still to this day can attest, like there's so many guys that I line up with that I've helped throughout the years of just the list is pretty long that people that have been at my house and literally in tears crying about something, they'll go win the race that weekend. But I love that. Like I, I like helping and I kind of know the root cause of a lot of it. Cause there's a lot of dysfunction in all sports. Like to be at the highest level, there's a, it's a tough road to get there for a lot of people. Yeah. But I love that. I love what I've learned throughout all of it. Um, yeah, even though it was tough, man, I've learned so much and I've gotten to live it and be happy. And I don't know many people can say that they they can truly race for as long as I've done and actually enjoy the, these last four years have been, they've been so fun. Yeah, They really have. And if I could help somebody at the beginning of their career, try and enjoy it as much as I have. Look, it's still tough. There's still pressure. There's still yeah. all that, but that's good every now and again. But the way I've balanced it, I think, is going to help me or has helped me be a better friend, uh, be a better husband, be a better dad, be a better person just in general. So I love the roadmap that I've had to take to get here. Yeah. I don't know if I'd do it again, (laughs) but that's with anything, right? You look back on it, you're like, man, I don't know how I did that, but here we are. What was like the hardest bit, like the hardest point where of the whole journey? Like if you look back at it, like say chapters close that's it and like full reminisce mode you look mm-hmm. back and you're like that's the bit i would never ever want to do again i would say my first year 450 i was so focused like i came out of the 250 class was that on the mdk bike mdk yep yeah on ktms and then i moved to 450 from motocross and did really well i was in the mindset of did you actually grinding. did do really good on that bike that season? Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won the last moto at Steel City. Then uh, I signed with JGR, 
So me and my friend Heath, who traveled with me for years, he's kind of my high school best friend and still my best friend to this day, but he moved to North Carolina with me. And from that, I'd say that next six months was probably the hardest time of my life uh, for several reasons, but mainly we're moving to a new place. Um, I had a, a girlfriend of like three years or so that some stuff went crazy there. Um, and like I, I was kind of heartbroken over that. And then I was moving to a new team, which they were welcoming, but not as much as I would have hoped or had liked. So moving to a new place. Because that was like their first year doing it, right? Yeah, I think it was their third. Year. Oh, was it? Yeah, second or third year. Um, but then their hands were tied because we were getting a new motorcycle. We were getting the new 2010 Yamaha, totally oh, different yeah, generation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and it was like, I, I was just a workaholic. Like I was James grind. your teammate then? No, it was Josh Grant. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I moved there in October and it just rained and rained and rained. <laughs> and I was used to Southern California. I could just ride every day, yeah. ride and train every day. It was like clockwork. So I couldn't ride. I didn't have a motorcycle to ride for one. Um, so we didn't get our bikes till like late December. And I just, it, it just wasn't a good vibe just from me to the team, the team to me, just we struggled that first little bit and it was mainly because my hands were tied. I just, I couldn't do what they hired me to do. I couldn't ride. I couldn't train. I couldn't, you know, it was just really, really difficult. I remember, um, sitting in the Best Buy parking lot in, uh, in North Carolina on the phone with my agent at the time, just crying, saying, get me out of here. Like I've got to get back to KTM or something like I, I, Anaheim's in like a month and I literally haven't even rode the motorcycle and I haven't rode. Uh, typically, my weight is about 165 to 170. I was 183 pounds. Just because you had the line. Been doing that and the trainer they had at the time was just basically a like he was a football guy. So I was lifting heavy weights, which I knew it was the wrong thing. So there's just so many things. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't really the team's fault because I respect everyone there a lot. Like there's a lot of smart dudes, but everyone's hands were just tied. And so I would say that was the toughest period. And somehow, some way, I line up in Anaheim and we get, I end up getting fifth in the series that year, my first year in 450 and getting a permanent number, which I chose number 10. And like, it ended up being okay. And that next year I met my wife, but there was six months of like, just, it was difficult. Yeah. It was really, really tough. And then once I crawled out of that and, and the bike, we started to dial the bike in and started to get some podiums and like it all started to come around, but I, like I said, that there's four to six months there where it's probably the hardest time, mainly because I couldn't do, like I knew what I had to do to, to be successful, yeah. and it was my first year in the class. I knew like this was my livelihood, you know, this is what I wanted to do forever, race the premier class on one of my dream teams, Joe Gibbs Racing, like are you serious? Like this is awesome. And then it just, we struggled for a little bit. What what got you through that time then? Like obviously you didn't give up. So yeah, that's like, yeah, that's, that's step, never that's a choice. One, that's yeah. never even a an, an option. Um, I think I just kept showing up. Yeah, I just I kept training even though I knew it was kind of the wrong training because my whole philosophy going into that year was it's my first year in the class. It's a team of, of this is like the best team in the pits in my opinion at the time. Um, 
I needed a change of scenery. So North Carolina was it. So you just, I just kept showing up. I just kept showing up to the races, kept doing the best I, I could. And, uh, that first generation bike was not very good. So we were struggling with that. The team was struggling with that. So just, yeah, you just gotta keep showing up and keep doing yeah. the best you can. And then I, I eventually, you know, we crawled out of that hole and, and, um, started to make it better. It's a weird personality trait sometimes like because i often wonder like i stayed in america for so long i just couldn't like i was making it i was like barely making it work mm -hmm. all the time and I, and now i look back a lot of it was just me yeah just my own me in my own way i didn't think for whatever reason like i didn't think that i was even worthy of doing good if mm -hmm. that makes sense like i thought yeah. that i feel like i'd made such a mess of so many things in the past mm -hmm. that me like I would let the past me sort of sabotage the future me. Yeah, totally. I was like, you know what, dude, you're not like you've done, you fucked up all this stuff. Like, yeah. you don't really deserve that. So you sort of you stop it there. Mm -hmm. But like for whatever reason, bro, I just couldn't give up. Like yeah. I couldn't leave. I just had to keep <laughs> keep doing it, even to when it like doesn't make sense. Yeah, I feel like that's like a trait with some people. I wonder mm -hmm. what that is because you obviously went through that same thing of like even though you wanted to give up, like you yeah, just couldn't, you like couldn't, something yeah. in you just doesn't yeah. let you and do I it. And I think with any success story, there's always that, right? Like, oh, there was this time and this year where I was just done. I was going to give up. And then this came about, like I, I read about it a lot when, in like, um, singers, like their last gig before they, yeah. like, uh, this country singer, Jason Aldean has a story that's crazy. He showed up to his last kind of just, uh, it was like a gig that he was doing in a bar and his last one is when the the record label the guy from one of the the record label that signed him was it just happened to be at that bar that night yeah and the next day he was like moving back home he was giving up and now he's one of the most successful country singers to ever live and he's multi-millionaire and just dialed right yeah but there's so many of those stories yeah and almost always when you get to that point if you just keep grinding and keep going you'll eventually get there yeah where you want to be and the funny thing too is like you sort of think that it's gonna like when you're in those moments you think that it's like gonna take this special thing and mm -hmm. that's gonna be what turns the top but it's not like it's literally it just it's like a cloud eh? yeah it just slowly lifts yeah. like i think what happens is like if you wait for that one thing to click or that like mm -hmm. it sort of like that's never really in my experience yeah. it doesn't happen it's like a fog just lifts yeah and you're like oh shit yeah. okay i can see yeah. again and it's what we talked about earlier with the searching right so when you're in those times it's easy to just search mm. and try this and try that yeah and then a lot of times you'll hear people say so what are you doing like now that you're doing this you're like same old shit i hadn't done anything <laughs> different but now i'm just i've done the same thing and now i'm just getting these results and I think it takes that to then it's almost like you're supposed to go through that. You know, yeah. I've thought about that before too. And then it's like, you're supposed to go through it and then you can enjoy the other side a little yeah. more. Like if I didn't go through the struggles and all of a sudden I'm winning races my first year in the 450 class and everything just seems easy, like, would you even enjoy it? Mm. I don't know if you would. And then if it did happen, it would be a bummer to look back on and be like, man, I, I won for this many years straight. And, yeah, I didn't have any fun doing it, but 
I've got all this money to show that I've I wonder, enjoyed it. I don't know if I'd want that. Well, like, what do you think James looks back like? I think it's tough because I think yeah. that 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 like you that's kind of yeah. James, right? It's and he like had he, no choice. I, I talked to uh, Roger Larson, who's a mutual friend of ours. Like, I've felt that pressure now being in Australia that James felt yeah. his whole life. Because when I line up here, I you can't have to lose. Win, yeah, I cannot lose. Yeah, and if I do. Which the mindset that I'm in now, it's like, I don't say I, I wouldn't care, but I would deal with it a lot different. Yeah. But that's the pressure that James felt his whole life. Or Ricky felt his whole life. Or but, Villa Poto or Dungy. At the top, 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 at the top, top level. Yeah. So I, I, I know exactly why they wouldn't want to continue. It's, it's a difficult space to be in. Because any other sport, like if you're... If you get eighth at a NASCAR race, it's fine. You had the happy eighth days. place car. It's yeah. happy days. If Stewart got eighth at Anaheim one, imagine his week. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. So that's the tough part about our sport is like, it's only the winner and maybe second or third that are glorified. In glorified. Anyway. Yeah. The seventh place guy who's a bad dude on a dirt bike, like a bad dude. Yes. Gets like ridiculous. He just gets shunned and like. Yeah, we don't care about you. Well, that's like when I have people that like I, I take some of my jujitsu buddies to like the supercrosses so mm-hmm. that they can see it, and they're like, that that literally the guy in seventh or eighth or whatever yeah. or coming last, for mm-hmm. instance, they're like, so would you be as good as that dude? <laughs> and I'm like, fucking no, <laughs> like no by yeah. the most you can say no. Mm-hmm. Like I'm that dude is a legitimate yeah, one of the best beast. in the world to to ride yeah it's, it's crazy it is crazy and then it just don't get like I, I wish like I was saying to you last night like do you like the idea of a like a televised top 10 sort of shootout to where you that gives you your gate pick or whatever like if you're the top 10 in qualifying instead of the opening ceremonies where you just ride around the track and wave mm-hmm. at the fans you're actually putting in a heater and then that determines your gate pick for the heat or something because I, then I'm it's open-minded like, to it all i think i think mixing it up every weekend is cool yeah i true. think throwing something in throwing that in one weekend throwing triple crown in the next weekend throwing a like i think just throw anything at us i think then you have more like the triple crown thing in in america has been awesome yeah you have guys that you like for Coop instance would have won the title without the triple crown that started his whole deal it did start it um I think he he was going to be good regardless, but yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it definitely could yeah. have had something like pretty big to do with it, though, right? For sure, yeah. And rewind one year, Anaheim two. I won the, um, or sorry, I got second in one of the triple crowns and fourth overall, and just that second, yeah, in that triple crown race. So I got a, I went two five three, and just those two podiums in the triple crown. It just it felt so good. And then I won the Atlanta Triple Crown. I mean, it it felt amazing just to win one of the yeah. Triple Crowns. And then all my sponsors are on TV like I just won the race. Yeah. Like it benefits so many yeah. people. And then you have five people going home happy rather than just one. Yeah. Or five sponsors going home truly or maybe even more because like I remember one Triple Crown, there was three different winners in the 250 class and yeah. three in the 450 class. Yeah. So there's six potential sponsors on their motorcycles that get get love and six different riders not to mention the guys that maybe got second or third that wouldn't normally get a second or third so 
and the racing is just it's so fun to watch like i was injured for a couple races last year and i remember sitting at home watching one of the triple crowns chad (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it was that crash um yeah i think it was a houston supercross we had some buddies over and it was so fun to watch and then the next weekend was a regular 20 minute race like i could have turned it off halfway through and i'm one of the biggest fans of the sport ever like i just love it but so i'm i'm okay with mixing it up i think it's better for you know some riders will hate it some riders will love it uh every sport you know has some sort of a playoff system i don't know if that's the answer but i'm happy to give suggestions or listen or like i think something doesn't really need to change because what we're doing is somewhat successful but from certain angles it's successful yeah and from others it's not yeah and i think from the teams and sponsors aspect they're ready for some sort of a change i don't know if we all know what that is but as a fan of the sport man it, when i'm done racing i want to I want to be able to turn on the TV Saturday night and be so excited yeah. to watch the to watch the race, and um, whether it's triple crown or double header, whatever it is, I think it'd be cool to throw something different in every weekend. Well, like you look at Mookie just won one of the motos yeah. and the Monster Cup, mm-hmm. bro. That changes his it's next awesome. two months totally. He's a fucking winner. He can win for two months. He's yeah. a, he's a winner, yeah. and he's literally like imagine the way yeah. that that's going to affect his mindset. Mm-hmm. Imagine the boost that gave to the Moto Concepts guys. Exactly. Like there's a there's a, an underground economy of momentum, yeah. and I think it's so overlooked. And I think that the yeah. sport needs to do whatever it can to not just have the momentum with factory honda and and kawasaki like Mm -hmm. how do we make it to where everybody in the pits has a feeling of accomplishment is there a you know like hey i just i think that there's things that have to be done to ensure more winners because like we're talking Mm -hmm. about nascar that's the most boring sport on the face of the earth in terms of what they actually do Mm -hmm. they drive cars in a circle why is it so successful because like 15 dudes yeah, could legitimately least, win yeah. so mm-hmm. you're like the thing itself is quite boring yeah but what makes it exciting is all of the possible storylines and now too like we're seeing it with like what west does with moto spy mm-hmm. um the uh what's the outdoor series called no the bloody oh what's it called what's the one that troy adam Midas does now the outdoors yeah i'm not sure but i know what you're talking about it used to be the great outdoors which yeah, was awesome yeah. yeah but like so that with all the storylines that they're mm-hmm. they're doing now it's like people can get invested in those people i feel like yeah. whatever we can do to just give everybody that momentum to where mm-hmm. they all feel like they're achieving these goals and it's not just this two horse yeah race well where just recently like you mentioned the monster cup like if that last main event's 20 minutes ac probably doesn't win yeah like tomax just he's just gnarly he's gnarly in that especially the last 10 minutes um and then so there's three different winners they all can go home stoked they all believe they can win and if you look at when i won daytona what i do the week before i won a triple count in atlanta yeah the week before yeah i beat all the best guys all the best guys were it was a crazy race anderson passed me a couple of times i passed him back they're all the best guys are all over me well then i got to feel what it was like to to do that the very next weekend on the worst track for me i just check out i'm like 
oh, this is this is no B. This is like the easiest race of my life. And Tomac's coming towards the end. Okay, I'll just pick it back up and match him and win the race. It was crazy. But do I do that if Atlanta wasn't a triple crown? <laughs> Sorry. Pause that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's crazy yeah. Eh, to, to think about that. Yeah. That, that race, dude, like, it seems like that is such a does it feel like validation almost for like the whole four years to just win that one race like yeah. that was where it's like you put your flag in the ground you're like see yeah I, I it did was it. a validation for Austin yeah. my whole life yeah not true. even just the four years just I mean that's what I'm gonna be defined by now a, a lot of it is winning that race where people will remember, remember that forever that, they're yeah. not gonna remember the race that I came from 10th to 2nd at Seattle and 2000 whatever you know like you're not going to remember those races yeah or the yeah so yeah it just the the weight that got stripped off my shoulders that night I can't even explain it like how how good it felt how good it feels to just even today to talk about it to know that I've won a race yeah I've raced for how long and I've won a race and yeah that's it's something to be so proud of but then other guys you know they look at it like oh you've only won one race i won 25 or 30 or whatever we're looking at it through my lens of being so proud of that one i feel like i'd rather be so proud of that one or if i get a a few more whatever it is even if it's just one to look back and be so proud of that one i think i'd rather feel that than not be proud of any of them and have 40 of them yeah and if i didn't go through what i've went through to be so proud for that one that goes back to why i think i'll be a good coach or mentor or whatever it is or like be a better person from it i just i'm i'm so proud of that and and um yeah the statistics when you look at it i think it was my hundred and yeah hundred and something start and yeah if you only win one race out of 150 starts it doesn't seem that successful yeah in the highest of standards but I think it is but, because well, I never thought kinda, I'd race a Supercross. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you can kind of mm-hmm. look at it. It just depends on the lens that you want to look exactly, at. It. It's yeah. like essentially if you say it was your 150th, if you've lined up 149 times and you haven't won, mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't win any. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's probably like, all right, you're just not going to win. Yeah. But then you do it and it's like it validates yeah. yeah like a whole life of really mm. struggling and that's what i was saying before like your story dude to come from iowa and to you know like you said that mcgrath was a cartoon character yeah like so many kids like they grow up and they're that was one of the like me and todd would talk about this like because todd's just a frother like mm-hmm. he just froths on everything so hard and he's like i'm so glad that i didn't grow up in southern california yeah. and i didn't get to go to Glen helen every day and see yeah. carmichael and just become like jaded by it. he's like i'm so excited mm-hmm. he's like i'm probably not as good of a racer anymore but you know you look at a kid like uh like carson mumford yeah or Ryder de francesco like they've just seen all the yeah. dopest shit their whole <laughs> life and it's like yeah. what the what's the seal you know where yeah. do they go from from there exactly. you know it's yeah. like and it's the same for you like you come from so far away that it's like you almost get to appreciate all of the thing whereas yeah. i don't think a guy like 
yeah, like a Carson Mumford. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he gets to appreciate exactly what he's got because it's yeah. always all been there. And guys like that, they don't get time to grow. So I had a chance to grow into myself with not having the pressure at 16 to win. If I go win my second 450 Supercross, man, the rest of my career is going to be a struggle because if I don't win, it's never going to be enough. It's like being that band with like that first hit single. Yeah. You got to live up to that every time. There's a a story that Bradshaw told me he won the Supercross. I think it was in Japan or something. And Ricky Johnson was on the podium with him and he said, you just messed up. Bradshaw's like, what? I just won the race. He's like, exactly. You just won the race. Now nothing else is going to be good enough for your team, for you, for everything. And Bradshaw has told me that story personally. And it's, it's so true. And the younger guys that you see it so many times, you see it year after year. These kids come in, they've won Loretta Lens every year. They've had a factory ride since they were 12. They get two years to make it as a pro. And that's yeah. it. Maybe one year. And if they don't make it uh, next, where for me, I actually had time to grow into my first fill-in ride, into the motor world ride where I, you know, like I've, I've said before to other people, but I'm one of the only ones that has actually lived every facet of our sport, every stage of our sport from, I couldn't even qualify at one time. I couldn't make the top 20 at a pro national, not even close. Then I'm a top 20 guy. Then I'm a top 15, then I'm top 10. Then I'm a top five guy. And then at one point I've one battled race, for championships. Yeah. So I've lived all that and gone through that mentally where these kids don't get to learn that. And I think if the teams just put a little more time in or let them mature a little bit and not let them turn pro when they're 16, maybe yeah. wait until they're 21. Uh, guys, I, I say right now, guys like, I mean, Josh Osby's in the room with us for now, but a guy like him or... Um, good friends with uh cameron mcadoo guys like that have such an opportunity right now because they're a little older they've had a little bit of time to grow yeah now if a guy like osby got a chance on a factory team like watch out yeah because a 16 year old kid's not gonna beat him i don't care what anybody says yeah but when he was 16 he wasn't ready to go pro either so i just think there's a a path that works for some and doesn't for others there's I was a gonna say, very that's few the, yeah that, that's that the problem works. that's the problem is very, you get like a few. jet lawrence though and then you're like he could win right now and He's, then the, he becomes like the rule not the exception or, or james was the rule right exactly or or ricky was the rule and then the it's industry so looks for that guy the yeah. industry is like we need that next guy like yeah. we don't we don't care like we don't have time for like a fine wine justin brayton yeah that takes 20 yeah. years yeah, to totally. be like I, you know i get that yeah but i just but it's not think, good for people to to look for that and to push yeah, for that and to expect right. that everybody is james or every mm-hmm. like jet lawrence might not be well that to guy. expect jet to win that's a bummer for jet yeah. like i feel bad for him i do like for for him to be expected to win the kid just turned 16 yeah he's a good rider imagine how good he would be at 20 yeah and then will somebody wait for him to be that good? Nope. Maybe he will be when he's 16. I'm not saying yeah. he won't win races next year. But imagine how good he really could be at 20. And then he races the 250 class for a couple of years. And then he, he's got he's still got a, a 10-year 450 career if he wanted it. Yeah. You know? But a lot of these kids I see that come in, I just I genuinely feel bad for them and their parents. Because if they just had two or three more years, I think they could turn into something really, really good. 
but they don't have that long. Yeah. And I was thankful to, super thankful to have some teams that I've been on to have some patience with me. So what's like the way to do it? Like, do you reckon that say you were like, like Josh, you go race some Australian series, like just be a bit of a journeyman at the start of your career because like Osborne's kind of a dude that He's has had that, that yeah. like roundabout way to mm-hmm. being one of the top dudes and he had the guts to to figure it out like so he obviously was highly touted amateur factory rider getting paid six figures and just didn't perform as a pro most people are just done oh yep they get show he's not that type of guy he went to europe and did it a different way not a lot of people could do that i couldn't do that there's yeah. no way i go to europe and be successful like he's been and then he comes back reinvents himself as a champion but i think and he would say the same thing as me like it just took him that long to learn yeah. it, it's a skill to learn how to win as well like i think that's where all these overseas stuff that's helped me learn how to win and like i was helping McAdoo a little bit last year he was left with nothing nothing he's just been kind of a filling guy oh, what should I do, JB? What should I do? Like, just go race. So a uh, fill-in ride came available for Yareev last year. Yareev called me. Hey, who do you think we should get for Ozex? McAdoo. What's he do? He comes in. He wins the race. Ozex mm. last year in Sydney. Um, JB, what should I do now? Uh, I'll call Eric Pinard and get you into Paris Supercross. Mm. But you're going to have to ride a Honda that literally, I don't know what it's like. You got to wear some random gear. I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I just need to be racing. Uh, He gets a podium at Paris. He's learning how to develop his skills and to be a better racer. And not to mention like just the racing. It's like the fact that you're having to travel, you're having to deal with different learning. Yeah. It's just like this constant, like other variables that you have to figure out. And people are talking about him, right? He's Mm. there. He's actually in the press. He's in people's face. And then next, uh, I'll, I'll try and get you into Geneva. He rides a Bowen stock bike in Geneva and wins the race. Guess what they're talking about? They're talking about McAdoo winning this race. And, you know, it's people talking about it. And he's learning how to develop as a racer to be a winner. And now all that, then all of a sudden he's a fill-in guy again. And now he's got his chance, which I believe being a little bit older, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins races at the highest level now. But it took time. It took a guy like him to just keep going, keep mm-hmm. going all right what's next like i know a lot of people in the industry they're not going to go to paris and race some random honda they're not going to do that Mm. i would have done it like i i would have done it and and i don't have anything else okay what i need to do like there's a lot of guys that just wouldn't take those steps and they're just going to sit at a training facility and practice and not get noticed do you think guys are more in love with like the idea of how your career should go because like if it if you don't like how many guys have we seen that it's like if you you come out of amateurs you win a bunch of Loretta's then you do good your first year maybe your second year you get an injury then mm-hmm. you're off that team and then you go to like a second tier team and it's like then it's not the yeah. picture that they painted for themselves totally, so they're yeah. like they're more in love with the idea of mm-hmm. being a factory rider than actually being a factory rider totally, you know yeah. what I mean yeah I 100% agree with you there. I think just a lot of the guys just want to pit out of a semi and have that look. I don't care what I'm pitting out of. If I've got a decent motorcycle, line, let's line up. I'll line up. I'll come in the back of a pickup <laughs> truck, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the mindset you have to have because with that factory ride and with that semi, there's pressure that comes with it. 
and most people can't handle that. Yeah. And a lot of people will say it's like the biggest misconception as a privateer. Oh, if I just got this factory bike, nah, mate, you, <laughs> you wouldn't do any better. Yeah. I just, I guarantee it. And the motorcycles are so good now in stock form. If you can have some good suspension, you can go do well. And if a 15th place guy got offered my ride and my motorcycle, he's not all of a sudden a fifth place guy. Yeah. It's just not how it works. And I, I really believe that because one, the pressure two, it's not NASCAR where the car makes up yeah, that probably 80% yeah. where ours is flipped. We're probably 80% rider, 20% bike. And then once you get to that level, the advantages you have are the technicians and the opportunity to make your bike fit you. Are you going to be good at that? Like I wasn't at first, but that's the biggest thing you have as a factory rider is how knowledgeable can you be and how good of a communicator can you be with your team to make that motorcycle fit you? Yeah. So if you can't communicate what your bike's doing, yeah, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to get it the way you want it. And it's almost worse when you're on a factory team with unlimited resources because yeah, you can, can get be. lost in the source. Totally. Yeah. Like they can give you everything like shit you've never changed before. Yeah. Like even like, Oh, how much talk do you want on your rear axle? Mm hmm what the fuck yeah like yeah. i did use i yeah. tightened it up with a what shift mounts do you want on your frame we have 25 different options yeah. yeah so it's like it's almost not you know like we saw with Medi even you know like he mm. was changing so much different stuff it's like sometimes that's actually a curse yeah it can be for sure if you don't know what you're kind of getting yourself into and you're not confident in your abilities of what you want you can definitely get spun out and then there's pressure to like give feedback, right? Yeah. So you don't even know what feedback yeah. you give. And you just want to say something. Yeah. Right? You just oh, it's do better. It. It's yeah. better. Yeah. Where then you get a little older and wiser and you're like, I couldn't feel anything. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. But yeah. when you're young, you think it's a bad thing because there was something changed. So it, sh it should change the way the bike is. So I'm just going to act like, oh, yeah, that seemed a little different over there. So, yeah, 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 yeah it, was, it was better. And then you just get, <laughs> get them going down the wrong road. Like it can be. You can open a big can of, of, of worms by going down the bad the bad uh, side of testing for sure. And I've seen it, and honestly, I've been a part of it, but yeah. it's how I've learned to to be more vocal on what I really want and then be confident in knowing the direction I'm taking them. Because yeah. at the end of the day, like when people complain about their bikes, when riders, like factory riders complain about their bikes. They're really complaining about themselves. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Like they need to take more responsibility. And if I was a team manager or, or team owner or anything, I would be huge on that. Like, look, on Tuesday, you wanted this change. So don't go badmouth our motorcycle on Saturday night because mm. it wasn't the right direction because you led us down that direction. So we're all in it together. Like, I just don't, I can't stand when people badmouth their bikes so much because you're in it together. Like, yeah, try and get it as best you can. If it wasn't good on that night on that certain track, okay, that's fine. But you don't have to make it vocal and how bad your bike is. And this is the reason why. Because I, I think riders need to take more responsibility for the way they've set up their motorcycle. Dude, Nate Ramsey was the one that I thought, I assumed in my naive, like didn't know anything when I went to America that like, if you're on a factory team, you knew what you were talking about in, as yeah. a rider in terms yeah. of testing. And I remember like leaving the test track with Nate Dog, and it'd just be like, <laughs> He has no, no idea, clue. like yeah. literally like yeah. no idea. Or I'd say something. He's like, you mm. know more about the motorcycle than that dude. Yeah. And that blew yeah. my mind. And he said, he's like, dude, there's probably 10 dudes 
yeah. in the world that can actually test a motorcycle mm-hmm. and give legitimate feedback. And I was like, dude, you have to be exaggerating. Like, you must <laughs> no, be so exaggerating true. that there's 10 dudes. He's like, yeah. nah, there's, there's no one. Like, yeah. people really don't know. Yeah. But then I also think it's the team's responsibility to the, to relay that message to the rider that it's okay. Yeah. It's totally fine if you don't know what you're talking about. We don't, if we put a slick on the rear and you can't even tell, that's okay. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like some riders just think they should be good at testing because yeah. they're a factory rider. So that's for the, sure true. The team should just say, okay, we've got this guy that doesn't really know. Let's help him through the process. Let's not change a lot of stuff. Yeah. Let's kind of work him through it. And then rather than just expect him to know. And then, cause sometimes the teams can be like, oh, that guy's terrible at testing. He, this and that. Once again, it's just like, no, you're in it together. Is it like, do a lot of teams try and teach the riders how to test? Not really. So you think that's like a bit of an issue? Yeah. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be that hard to like teach somebody. Because like me and Sleater had this conversation, like I think it's kind of weird that, but I I get why it happens. But like, say you go to factory Honda Mm -hmm. and you go, you're like, I'm thinking I'm going to sign with the team. They want to give you like the best shit day one. Like this is our sexual chocolate right now. Like you're riding the A team. Mm -hmm. And then it's like winning your first race. Like where do you go from there? Yeah. Like it can only, like it, how much better are they going to make that motorcycle? Like percentage points left or right, better, worse. Whereas it's like, if it, if you go like, that's what Todd did with his, when he got on the Huskies, Mm -hmm. they sent him a stock bike Yeah, and he just rode it for like months. And he wasn't, granted it was motocross, you sort of can't do that on Supercross, mm-hmm. but he had a stock bike. And he's like, dude, I love this thing. Yeah. And then he knew the bike and then mm-hmm. he got new forks and a new shock. And then he's like, mm, okay, I yeah. really know. Like I can yeah. really tell. And he's like, he was stoked. Cause he's like, that just made this thing like way better. Mm-hmm. And he, there was like a positive attitude towards that yeah. change. And he felt invested in that change. And then, you know, he does all his own clickers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's like, then they put an ignition on, then they put a pipe on it. It's like in his head, he's like, dude, this thing just keeps yeah, getting, getting better, better and better. And better. Yeah. Whereas yeah. that's not how it works. It's like literally here's the stiffest, mm-hmm. fastest beast machine that we can give you. Yeah. And it's like, then where do you go? Yeah. I actually agree with that. What Todd did. I mean, I think it's great to start on a stock motorcycle, whether it's just in motocross or whatever. Um, when I found out I was going to ride for the factory team this year, it was going to be some logistical, like it was going to be tough to get a motorcycle in North Carolina. And I wanted to stay there. We had some stuff going on with family and stuff. So I wanted to stay there. It was like another three weeks. And then I was flying to California to test the factory bike. So I went and bought the 2020s just came out. I went and bought a motorcycle off the showroom floor of a shop to ride it in stock form just to see. Yeah. And then, I put supercross suspension on it and some handlebars and a pipe and I motoed that thing for two and a half weeks. And it was crazy. For one, I was nervous as heck going to the track. The first day I was going to ride a stock bike. I hadn't ridden a stock bike in so long. And Isn't that crazy? So that, good. Like, you're, pay, you're, you're paid to be a representative of yeah. Honda. Yeah. And it's like what they're selling is yeah, the stock riding, bike. Yeah. Like you're not even riding yeah. what they're, they're selling. Yeah. But it, like you should have that experience. Totally, yeah. You're a salesman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now that I have, like I can't believe how good stock bikes are. Yeah. Like, it blows my mind how good that thing was. I was telling Brent, my mechanic, one day after we were riding, Riding on Supergrass stock suspension, stock ignition, stock. So you rode stock su- suspension on no, Supergrass? Supergrass suspension. Oh, uh, okay. But everything else is stock yep. except handlebars. 
and um, I mean stock clamps, just everything, the stock linkage, all of it, and um, it was awesome. Like it was, of course, my factory bike is better, but I, you can take that motorcycle, and my exact words were, I could take this to Anaheim and do well on it right now, and it's just, it's wild. We live in a really cool time of how good the motorcycles are. It's not like it used to be where you have to be on works equipment or a factory bike to do well. Yeah. Nah. Like Eli Tomac could take a stock motorcycle with some suspension on it and do really, really well. Yeah. And just like I said earlier, the 15th place guy cannot get on a factory motorcycle and go do what Eli's going to do. It's just, it's not that way. Are you better in your testing process now with your Honda because you spent those two and a half weeks on a stock bike? I don't know if I could say I'm better. I mean... Um, we definitely started more of just a base platform and because um, typically you know guys will cut the subframe and do a different linkage and then run some different offset clamps I wanted to see what the bike was like just yeah. in stock trim as far as just the the chassis on how that felt so we pretty much started with that uh, when I started on the on the factory bike I didn't start with a stock engine but as far as uh, the chassis parts and stuff we started pretty much stock yeah yeah and you think that that then helped like does that help the process to sort of go instead of just dump jumping straight to like here's the Mm -hmm. thing with all the fruit on it we can change all these individual pieces as opposed to like here it is stock and we can just slowly add things to it and then you grow with the team and the bike because then you can visually see yep this is better or on the stopwatch yep that was better rather than just start out and be like all right, well, so what'd you guys have on the rear of that? Or, hey, yeah. what, what'd we start with here? Well, let's go to this because we think this might be better. So, yeah, it just gives you a solid base platform to start on. Yeah. And um, I think it helps everybody because then you can grow with the bike and you can grow with the team and the way you relay a message to the team. Every rider relays a message different. Yeah. Uh, different wording for it. So I think it helps everybody it's crazy to think that you're on the factory like you it's like just been this crazy slow mm-hmm. grind to now it's like i know you've been on factory honda before but it's yeah. like you know three-time aussie champ you've mm-hmm. had your best season ever last year and now it's like yeah 2020 is going to be on like the factory team. yeah it's yeah. pretty cool even the yeah. number 2020 yeah. it's like oh you know back in iowa 2020 bro you're gonna yeah. be you and yeah. roxon are gonna be like the two know, dudes on a factory honda yeah arguably the the pinnacle of the sport at 35 years old maybe the oldest to ever sign a factory contract i don't know for sure but um i'm proud of that like yeah. i think it's cool when people talk about my age i think it's just motivation we were talking about last night how young osby and and jay wilson are yeah. like man they just seem like kids you know yeah and if they wanted to, they've got another 10 or 12 years to go. And yeah, it's just crazy to think that you can, or for me at, at this age to, I guess, still be doing what I'm doing because we're taught different in our industry and in our sport that when you're 30, you are ancient. Like you need Don't to get out, those. you're yeah. done. And now to be the oldest to ever win a race, win a Supercross, now be on factory Honda at age 35 and doing it a different way i don't know if factory honda would sign a guy that says hey i'm still going to australia yeah i still want to do a race or two in europe and i'm doing supercross only for factory honda like would anyone say that 10 years ago no way so i feel like it's it's pretty cool to 
to know that it's working for me, but it's also working for a team like Honda that says, look, you're our salesperson globally and you winning Australia means a lot to us. You winning uh, the Geneva Supergoss means a lot to us. Um, it means the most to us if you went over here, but you know, we've in their mind, they've kind of got Kenny for that. Yeah. And so if I can go win a race or two, awesome. Um, if I can help Kenny along the way, achieve his goals and I achieve mine at the same time and I've won Australia again and I'm in Europe on a Honda, like it just, it all makes a lot of sense. I think. I just think it's funny too, that like you said, you know, like you're a guy that weren't really making any waves you weren't doing any like you're not a loud outspoken guy you're not mm. in everyone's face media wise like you probably were like the dude that flew under the radar for just the longest time <laughs> yeah. and now really if you look at the big picture of like what you've achieved over the last few years the way that you've structured your deals the now that you're on factory honda like mm-hmm. you're like it's like a super influential dude like people are going to be trying to be like you now yeah. you know what i mean yeah, whereas yeah. like in 2012 like no one was trying to be yeah, like exactly. justin brayton and yeah. it's not a knock it's just mm-hmm. the way it's like you said it's like this slow build to mm-hmm. this thing now and all of a sudden it's like fuck brayton's really like figured it out and yeah. i kind of want to do what he's doing yeah and i get that a lot i've gotten a lot of phone calls from riders and agents and hey so how'd you do this or who'd you call and and i mentioned it um to you another time but it just uh i think we're talking about last night i think i just timed it perfect with honda because you have to have a manufacturer on board to support this sort of program so if a guy like just say dean wilson wanted to do the exact same thing i'm doing i don't know if husky is willing to spend the dollars to make it happen over here um i got super lucky with yareev and just global Honda at, in 2016, they they were just on this mission to kind of win everything globally. And even Australia meant a lot to them to win this series. And um, no, not to Australian series, but most of the time they only care about the American supercar series. That's it. Well, yeah. Honda was different yeah. at that time. They're like, we, we want to win everything. Yep, man, that means a lot to us to go win Australia. And this year for the last round in Marvel Stadium, literally the boss of Honda is coming to an Australian supercross to watch. And I think that's pretty cool. Like that's awesome. And, um, so yeah, you just have to have the manufacturer. It has to be the right timing. Not everyone can just say, or, or like Barsha, if Barsha wanted to do this program next year, it's really, really difficult because the teams on different gear. I don't know now though, because you've done it. Like, it might have been difficult for you because you were the first dude to do it. Yeah. But now, I think the sell, like, it's still hard to do. But, like, if it was Basha that was trying to do it and you'd never done it before, yeah. then it's, like, a sell. Yeah, but now, like, it's saying, proof yeah. of concept, bro. Yeah, it like actually works. It worked. Yeah. It worked well. Yeah. You just, you'd have to have all your sponsors and a manufacturer on board. Yeah. Which I see what you're saying. Like, now, Honda has done it why wouldn't Yamaha do it? And the because big, it the, works. The thing is too, is like, if you didn't win last year, then it like, the, the program's half validated. Yeah. But because you had your best season ever and yeah. everyone has to go like, what happened here? Yeah, like, exactly. You know, because that would, that was my thing. Like when you mm-hmm. started coming over and you were winning these races, I was like, 
there's no nothing better than gate drops like yeah, there's no exactly. and i know we've got it's not the best series the tracks aren't always the best the what the guys here wouldn't go and win over there but it's like the level's good like yeah. luke i believe it's luke really cloud good. could yeah. go to a supercross on his exact 450 mm-hmm. race bike and I, he could put it in the top 10 i would i think on a good night yeah he would he would do well yeah and reardon's obviously proved where he is Meddy's one of the best in the world yeah um, and then the tracks is the biggest thing, right? Like, so for me to separate myself on these tracks, it's really difficult. Yeah. And I think it's made me a better rider to try. Because you've like, got to find gain, every tenth. I've huh? got to find every tenth. Yeah. I mean, Brisbane indoor, for me to be, I think I was well, the over track was half a, a second. <laughs> yeah. But I was over half a second faster. Yeah, that in, is crazy. In uh, practice and in the, in the mains. And that was just... I call it detailing the track. Like every little detail matters. This turn down here and that little rut that you're going to grab here, it all matters. So I think that's made me a better rider to, because the difference between me and Eli Tomac in the States or Ken Roxon is a few tenths. Yeah. Like it's not like it's three seconds. So if I can gain, if I gain three or four tenths a lap over 20 minutes, like you're there. how many more seconds does that put me up? You know, that, that helps me win Daytona. Yeah. So I think that's what's helped me the most. And then you talk about being in a vulnerable state. I signed with factory Honda and then I still want to come over here. If I come over here and get fourth, imagine what that does, not only to me, but to like sponsors or so that puts me in that state of like we talked about James and stuff earlier. Like you have to, like you do not (laughs) have a choice. But in my mind, I kind of do now because I'm like, it's not going to define me if I, even if I'm on a factory Honda bike and I've signed with that team, it doesn't define me if I get third in an Australian Supercross. I don't I want to because you know that the guys are good too, though. Yeah, yeah. Like you, but get I'm the more level. saying the outside yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do the people in the states think about me? Yeah. So, but then it's also I realize that, and it's why I started training in June. I realize what it does for guys like Clout or Medi or Reardon or these other guys. Like, oh, he's on a factory Honda now watch this they I'm gonna chasing. beat him yeah. like yeah. if I could just beat him one time if I could just beat him two times you know what I mean yeah. if I can just be faster than him in one practice Yeah. so from the time the green flag flies the very first practice the very first lap I know it's go time for yeah. me and I, I love that though like I love that feeling I love that pressure so I kind of thrive on that well that's why I like there's definitely a, an argument of people being like whoa we've got too many Americans over here it's taken away from the Australian dudes but like exactly that's what stupid. you just said yeah. is why we should have the best mm-hmm. dudes here because yeah. dude like Cloudy I'm freaking super proud of that kid mm-hmm. like he's come a long way in yeah. the last few years like yeah. from even last year to now like he has made mm-hmm. <laughs> huge improvements like yeah. massive massive leaps and it's like it's because that it's yeah. like dude Brayton's on a factory Honda he won mm-hmm. a race in America last year if yeah. I can beat this dude like I can be that guy yeah. like that it's sort of it raises the ceiling but it also mm-hmm. raises the intensity to like achieve it yeah. when you're sort of just here racing around in Australia and it's like you, it's like you're the king of Pooh Castle yeah if there's no like yeah. what's the yardstick you know mm-hmm. but it's like a guy like you and I think that at the start, you, maybe it wasn't even like you legitimized the series. You were just yeah, maybe not the, the first year. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think so. Like I didn't, I didn't think like, oh damn, Brayton's coming, man. Like this yeah. is gonna, 
this is going to make the series what it is. But I think mm. over time with what you've achieved here and then what you achieved in America, yeah. now it's like, yeah. this is really legitimate because I think that this series has made you better. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's made our guys better. And mm. it's like a rising t- tide floats all boats in, totally, a, in yeah. a sense, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I just think that guys like you are so necessary to raise up everything Mm -hmm. and now you look at like could you imagine racing at marvel stadium the first year that you were here the first gate drop that you did like yeah that's a short time dude it is yeah a really short time to Mm -hmm. now have like this is going to be the biggest one of the biggest supercross races in the world yeah in melbourne yeah it's it's super cool and to grow along with it yeah has been really cool and then also if it was just like let's just say i wasn't here maybe not many people pay attention to Luke or yeah or Dan or Brett because it's like they don't know how good they actually are where now when you look on paper and and Cloudy's three tenths or four tenths off of me it's like you can armchair race a bit eh? you can armchair race a little bit yeah. and and the people at home teams and fans and everything can say man like those guys are legit because Justin did X, Y, and Z over here. Yeah. So where would that put them? And then also, like you said, gives them a measuring stick of for like Cloudy, who still has aspirations to come to America. Like, man, if I can just get that little closer or, or, or beat him or, or yeah. whatever it is like, and then the whole thing of Aussie's not liking Americans come over. Like, like we don't complain that Chad came over. Yeah, we true. don't complain that Ken's over there. Yeah, we, like Mark, like the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, it only raises everybody's yeah. level, and I think the Australian fans and riders should be stoked. Yeah, maybe they don't win the race or win the championship, but hey, the next year, work harder, yeah. try harder. Like, and now that the two fifty class over here, it's so fun to watch. It's so competitive right now. Yeah, dude. And a guy who, who's leading the championship, Aaron Tanti, like. I would have never guessed that. He might have not have even guessed that. But how stoked is he right now? He's got the red plate going into round three. And yeah, the championship's close, but he can legitimately say that he's raced with these guys that have been on the podium in America. Yeah. Maybe it gives him new hope or new aspirations to like, hey, I want to go over there. You know, maybe I'm better than I think I am, or maybe these guys aren't as good as I thought they were. So I think it only helps everybody. Yeah, no, I'm I 100% agree. Mm-hmm. Is it crazy to watch the way that the AME boys have done the whole Ozx Open in Sydney and then New Zealand and now New Zealand and and Melbourne? Like, it must be pretty cool from your perspective as a rider. And I yeah. know like how hard they work to make, like you said last night, they make you feel like you're one of the best dudes in the world. Yeah, yeah. The way they go about it from top to bottom is just is first class. Um, they're genuinely truly like fans of the sport and mm. they ride like Bailey will just be motoring on a Saturday or Sunday because he loves it and so they ju- they just get it they get the sport they're trying to grow it I mean I know I probably only know one percent of what really goes on but it is very very difficult to put these events on yeah and I've been a part of a lot of them around the world and it's not easy so for them to not only financially but just the time it takes to to do these events it's awesome and i I just give them huge props and now like you said not only new zealand but the one in marvel it's one of the biggest races in the world and it's here in australia so 
that's pretty cool. It's been cool to be a part of it. They have included me, even though I do the series, they include me in on, you know, things, media stuff uh, for those events, which they don't really have to. But I think it's cool that they do. And um, yeah, Sando and, and Bailey have really, they've uh, grown to be friends like uh, of mine now, like I would, I would call them a friend. And, and it's really cool to see their passion for it. And um, just how much they genuinely care about how the whole event and, and the riders it's, it's pretty impressive the the media stuff where are you at with the like the media side of things these days like do you like how the media works in motocross or do you look at other sports and wish that it was more like that because obviously like i'm in a weird spot with it i'm like got one foot in but one foot out like i don't mm-hmm. i don't really have to report on anything i don't really have to yeah. Like I'm not like Wygant or Mathers, mm-hmm. but I'm sort of still talking about it and people still listen. So it's like, for me, it's interesting. I'm like, I wonder what people like you even think of the media and where it should go. Is it good? Is it bad? Like, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I go in waves. It used to be my least favorite thing, to be honest. Like I, I love riding. I love racing and that's what I want to do. That's what I signed up to do. That's what I did as a young kid. Now to go sign autographs and to live up to be a certain person was really difficult for me at first. Um, now that I've gotten older, I, I kind of embrace it. I, I enjoy things like this. I enjoy, um, tonight I'm doing a meet and greet at a, at a, um, a car dealership. And Saturday I'm having dinner with some executives that are big fans and potentially want to be in the sport like so media stuff like that I I love where five years ago I didn't I mm. straight up I just did not like it I wouldn't want to spend the time to do it because I felt like I had to just be in this mindset of training and riding and that's what I want to do I don't care about the other stuff so yeah like negative thoughts towards a little that. bit yeah. yeah where now I've I just I get the whole picture I get the whole where you kind of have to make everybody happy yeah. and these guys that like they want me to come there and meet some employees and they want me to meet you know certain people and these guys actually really want to go have dinner with me and yeah and I'm I really embrace that now like I, I love that side of it and I think it's what separated me and helped my career be longer is my relationships it's why I'm on factory Honda is just straight up relationships um a little bit of results but I think it's more of the relationship that I've built answering your question about me like social media I go back and forth on that because for one I, I hate going into restaurants and seeing everyone on their phone yeah when there's four people at dinner six people at dinner and everyone's just on their phones I hate that that's what was cool I thought about that last night because I had well I rode away and I like took my phone out of my pocket and I had like 50 messages yeah and I was like damn we act like no one looked at their phone last night it's awesome which is rare though right it's super rare but then on the other side of it like the social media thing I honestly I wish I had someone just with me all the time that just videoed what I was doing and posted it for me but then it's not that genuine but at least people get to see what I'm doing because and I get on my wife on it about it all the time like she loves social media and posts what the kids are doing and posts like I love it after it's done like I love seeing those videos and stuff but in the middle of it I'm like babe we're at the park we're at the beach with the kids like let's just enjoy this like put your phone away yeah so it's it's really difficult 
because you're right. Like after it's right done, now. you're it's like, cool to have those you're like, oh man, like you can sit on the couch and watch the kids, and yeah. you're like, this is it's awesome. Really like, cool. That was so cool to see how happy they were. Yeah. So, I go back and forth on it all the time, and I I, th- I think it'd be really cool p- for people to see my whole trip to Australia because there's a lot of Americans and and fans that don't really know what goes on. I'd love to video this whole trip one one year and like put it out there on social media. Yeah. Then again, it takes a lot of work and you're vulnerable because you've got a camera in your face all the time. So, yeah, I, I, I really do go back and forth. I think it's a great time to follow people, though, and, and to be a fan of just anybody or any sport. Yeah. It's really cool because you get an inside look. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm 50-50 on it. I want to live my life and be able to be a good dad and a good husband. And I feel like having my phone out all the time deters me from doing that yeah so it's almost like you have to have time like detach from it so there's tons of studies you know going on right now like yeah how many hour like screen time and like if we looked at our screen time after every day it's an ugly number mine it's, was ugly yesterday yeah, i can tell you that it's an ugly number but then again it's like you do everything on your phone so yeah. that's the hard part too is i'll just be checking emails or like there'll be some important stuff going on where, and if I'm sitting in a chair, you know, 20 feet away from my wife, she might just think I'm on Instagram scrolling Yeah. or vice versa. Like I might just think she's been on Instagram for an hour, but she might be doing something really important. Yeah. Or same when you see people at dinner, it's like you can do everything on your phone. So you might've just closed a, some businessman might've closed a million dollar deal on their phone and you thought they were on Instagram. Yeah, dude. So it's like, it's really difficult daily. Like that's one of my things with my girlfriend. Like, She'll be like, get off your phone. I'm like, I'm literally emailing Red yeah, Bull right now. Exactly. Like the, the boss. <laughs> and it's it's like, so tough though, huh? To yeah, like, you want to... You instantly think like, ah, get off your phone. You're on Instagram or you're on Twitter. Or you're yeah. like, who cares about what those other people are doing? You're like, no, nah, I'm actually just... Yeah. Just got a new sponsor for the show or you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a tough, tough thing to kind of walk, but... Do you like how the sport's covered though? Yeah, I think it's getting better. I think guys like you are awesome for it. I think Mathis is great for the sport. Uh, love him or hate him. Uh, I like him. I think it's awesome. We he need a guy needs to like be that guy. straight we, shooter. We were talking about that last night. It's just a good, batter and different. I think he's a straight shooter, and the people that don't like him probably don't like to hear the truth about them. Um, so, yeah, I think he's great for the sport. I, I like Weege. Weege is one of my favorite guys. Um so yeah and and then with the whole moto spy stuff like that's awesome yeah it's so cool to see the i mean i live it i'm in it yeah but for guys like even my friends in iowa to see stuff that other guys are doing or see what i've been doing or see what happened on a tuesday afternoon at the test track like i i think that's really cool it's a good time to be alive and remember back in the day you cycle news or a magazine was the only way you could see really who won the race or so yeah it's it's a cool time to to be a fan of the sport to be in the sport but it's also the sponsors and teams there, there's it's more work as yeah. a rider there's more responsibility placed on the riders and teams now more than ever and i think that's why some of these guys are just done early and, and yeah uh, yeah, so it, it's because you have to do everything, right? Like you can't only get the results now. Yeah. Because there's there's 10 guys that are like me in the sport. We could list 10 that are kind of in that same 
look, you've got the, the big four or whatever. Yeah. And then you've got the next group of six or eight or maybe 10 of us. So how do you separate yourself to get that factory Honda ride over four other guys yeah. who might've got the same results or going to get the same results as you on the track? How do you separate yourself? So it, it's, it's a tough time right now, but, um, it's also a good time if you're, if you know ways to build relationships and, yeah. um, and separate yourself from that crowd. Do you reckon that, um, like I love what Ando has got going on with the whole team fraud thing. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that people like guys like him doing that sort of stuff pushes the sport forward in like pretty big leaps and bounds? Cause like in the same way that you like, you're kind of pushing the boundaries with Honda. Like this isn't mm-hmm. a generic thing for them. This is like a new age deal that you've got. And what Ando's doing is like new age as well. Yeah. Like, I don't, there seems like there's something going on at the moment where things are changing. And, and do you think it's like, it's just out of necessity, like the sport needed to change and maybe like Feld or whoever isn't cha- going to change the schedule. They're not going to change the formats. They're not going to change this and that. So it's like you guys are like finding your own ways to like impact the sport in the way that you wish that it would be. Yeah, I don't know for sure if it's like pushing the sport, but it definitely the fan interaction is just next level right now with social media. I mean, I I don't follow Jason's stuff super close, but like Dino, yeah, he's awesome on social media. It's just it's it's awesome, and I know the whole team fried thing. Like when they went to Europe, like that's that's so awesome for insane the eh? fans and. And to see the interaction, and that's a lot of work for Jason, probably a lot of money, a lot of work. So it's cool that he's doing that. Um, yeah, I just think it brings the fans closer to us. Yeah. And that that's never bad. Like, yeah. I think that's a total positive. What sports do you follow that you think do that well? Um, do you follow much other stuff? I follow a lot of sports, but at a pretty big distance um, yeah so you're I, not a, like into it into it no nah, not really since we've had kids honestly like i used to be a big football fan baseball yeah. basketball i'd watch nascar watch every every sunday man i used to look forward to getting home on a sunday and watching turning nascar on and taking a nap on the couch and then watching the last 50 laps or whatever yeah now we can't do that like the the tv is pretty much on cartoons 24 7 and it's so hard to follow any sport because we're for one I've got to be in tune with my sport yeah and then I'm trying to be a good dad trying to be a good husband still want to be a good friend it and the day's gone yeah and I'd rather spend my time doing those things than than following a sport closely but I I know enough about every sport not every sport because like rugby and yeah, stuff yeah, like that yeah. here like I don't know anything about but your but main sort of stuff back main there. stuff I could definitely have a conversation conversation about all of it and have some knowledge about all of it yeah but to follow it day in and day out is yeah it's not me right now yeah that's fair. <laughs> does yeah. that like with your parents splitting up when you were young mm-hmm. has that played on your mind like when you're a parent for sure yeah 100 percent, absolutely and yeah it it weighs on me all the time and and I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure that I spend the time like it's it's a really hard balance I gotta admit it's the hardest thing I do every day is to try and be the best at something at the highest level I wanna be the I wanna win races in Supergoss next year as a 35 year old 
but also am a dad of two. I'm also a husband. And that's, it's really, really hard to find that because I know what some of the other guys are doing. I know what it's like to be single and just train, 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 ride, ride, yeah. ride. But also know the downside of that. I know the mental fatigue. I know all that. So I'm balancing it better than ever, but it's also a very difficult task to, because yeah. I, I want to take my kids to school. Like I, I want to be there for, for everything they do, you know? Yeah. But my wife is really good at helping with that. Like she handles everything with the kids. Like it's like, she's a godsend. Like it was, it's been awesome, but also don't want her to, right? I want her to do her own thing too. And for me to spend time with the kids and know that I'm providing for them. Like when I leave for a weekend or sometimes I flee for a couple of weeks, it's only benefiting them as yeah. well as me. But that's odd. Like they don't understand that. Right? They don't understand it. No. Cause that's like, that's just relationships in general. I think like when yeah. you're, cause even for me, like I put so much time into this thing mm-hmm. and it, it's not only time physically of me, like say being in the studio or being away on trips or like yeah. that, the physical time, but it's like my headspace exactly is like constantly mm-hmm. in work. Like I can't, I was fucking making notes at midnight last night. Like yeah. I just, normally I yeah. sleep pretty good. Couldn't sleep last night. So yeah. I got my phone out and I'm like, just trying to write down all this. And it's yeah. all about work. And mm-hmm. that's definitely hard. Like I feel guilty to constantly put that much time, mental, like mental equity into it. Yeah. But then at the same time, I'm thinking like, well, this is like good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like if, if this is successful and this does well, then we all do exactly, well. And yeah. it's not just my relationship it's like my family it's like mick it's like you know you just feel like i get that i'm putting so much time into this Mm -hmm. but you feel like it's for this big picture but you sort of do have to balance that otherwise like otherwise the family goes by the wayside if like the people that you're doing it for they don't get Mm -hmm. any of the rewards out of it and And it's hard to find a good spouse to understand that yeah because a lot of people don't ever find that passion either and that's what I try and teach my kids is this is, it's, it's absolute. If I, if I could pick, and I've told people this before, but if I could pick anything to do tomorrow morning, and if I've got a billion dollars in the bank, I could pick anything. I don't want to go ride motorcycles with my <laughs> that's buddies. Pretty sick. Like I really would. And so to have that passion for something and to be able to live that out, it's something that I want to instill in my kids. It's something me and my wife talk about all the time. And and to know like I'm teaching them through it. So if I'm gone yeah. for a couple of weeks or if I bring a trophy home, like that's all my daughter wants now. Like every time I leave, I have to bring a trophy that's home. That's so, so sick. Um, What's well, cool, she was on like the podium even. Yeah, she bought yeah. you the trophy. Yeah, yeah London, that was right? super cool. Yeah. What that did that feel a, like? That was awesome. It, it's, it's so funny because every time, like across the finish line there and my wife wasn't able to be there because she was, she was pretty sick. So her and my son weren't there my friend Ford Dale brought my daughter down and um, first thing I thought of was like, oh, I want to bring Parker down. Like it wasn't how stoked I was to win the race. I want Parker to come down and like be able to hold the trophy with me or just see her face. Like, and she's like, daddy, you won, you won the race. Like there's no feeling like that. I'm telling you, it's just, it's such a cool feeling. And I hope that one day, and it's cool because I'm still doing it right. Like at 35, if I was done when I was 30, they would have never seen me race a motorcycle race yeah. ever. So 
it's cool to still be doing it and at a high level and um but yeah that's definitely a tough balance to but you have to find it right like yeah i'm a miserable person to be around if i'm not chasing goals and like if i'm just home 24 7 and helping with the kids like my wife wouldn't want to be with me yeah you know like she's so happy that i'm living out my passion and she gets to raise our two kids and go along on this journey with me honestly it's a dream i I, we wake up daily and for some reason this trip has really hit home this year i don't know if it's because it who knows when is our last um you know my daughter will be in school next year so i don't know if we could come back or not but she doesn't need to go to school so good (laughs) yeah she can figure the first couple years you can figure it out (laughs) but there's just so much gratitude right now this year of just how like we're just so thankful yeah i mean we're staying on the beach in australia winning races at a high level on arguably the best team in the world factory honda in america we've got so many good friends like it's just you're almost just waiting for it to be stripped from you right so you want to it's like the the highs never last forever and the lows never last forever when you're on the highs like sometimes you don't enjoy them enough uh, or sometimes you enjoy them way too much and then yeah. you don't know what to do in the lows. So in the lows, I'm just, we just kind of accept it and like we know it'll get better. But now in the highs, we're just, it's not like we're jumping up and down high fiving, but we just feel so much gratitude yeah. towards just our, our lives and what we're going through. And it's, it's a, it's a special time right now. That's what one of the things where I feel like, um, gratitude is the thing like that's the state that you should mm-hmm. be in like when shit's going good it's not really you don't really want to be celebrating like yeah. celebrating isn't the state to exist in yeah like when you're winning say you're winning every weekend like mm-hmm. that's not the thing you should be striving for because i've been feeling pretty grateful for a lot of stuff yeah. lately and i've been actively trying to chase that feeling of gratitude like mm-hmm. when i have like even just yesterday i was having like or the day before I, I, like monday i had like a pretty shit day yeah and i was like i was like bummed on myself mm-hmm. because it was very hard to see the forest for the trees even though you know what's there like yeah i was looking at the stats for the show for the month and it's been one of our best months ever mm-hmm. and it was like that should be like I should be grateful for that I should be like yeah. I was super pumped that you were coming on the show this week mm-hmm. like it was a sick week yeah yeah Monday I just felt like dog shit in it, yeah. and I'm just like fuck bro like yeah. you should be thankful and then yeah. it's like when you do come like you know getting dressed today like I was like pumped I'm like mm-hmm. today's gonna be a great day like I was yeah. thankful for it but it's like that's the state you need to be in but like it's really it's, it's hard it's to really like hard, yeah. force yourself into mm-hmm. that state because you're always striving for better, right? But, and, and what's a bad day? Like you said, you had a bad day. Like me and Jay Wilson went to visit a children's hospital in Brisbane the day before the race Yeah, uh, a few weeks ago. Talk about a bad day. That's a bad day. You know, like that's, so you leave there feeling so much sadness, but then so much gratitude for what you for have, what I have. Yeah. And so yeah it's it's all relative right and yeah. when i'm having a bad day i'm just like mate just look in the mirror what is bad? like yeah. what's bad yeah. like what's really bad you've you've got it okay you know that's, that's you've the, got it all right that's the weird thing though is like nothing was bad it was just a yeah. feeling that's like, where instagram and stuff is so bad now too yeah 
everybody's life looks amazing. Yeah. Like I can portray on Instagram anything. Like yeah. I can portray that I'm flying private jets every weekend over here or flying on helicopters or and or last year I could have portrayed that, but instead my wife's sick in the hospital with pneumonia and I've got bronchitis and the kids got the flu. <laughs> but I could have done a post and been totally different. Yeah. So that's what's tough is we always feel like the next person has it a little bit better. Yeah. But then when you can portray on your show where I can talk to people about the relatability that we have to people in the lows or what is kind of really going on. Yeah. That's where people, I think, gravitate towards you or uh, towards the people on Instagram that are just real. Yeah. But for sure. And in, in, in the dark times at night, you're scrolling like, man, this guy's doing this and this. Like, it can be tough. Yeah. For sure. I think that there's just like a everything like if you're the kind of person that can work for yourself or be a racer or like it's such a double-edged sword because it like is, yeah. that drive like the drive that I have to do well in my life feels like such a fucking burden <laughs> or like it's I'm just yeah. I'm over it like, yeah. I'm like dude it's so, like I you just wish that you could be happier with not getting up like right Mm -hmm. now I can't train jujitsu I've been sick and like my schedule is just gnarly and I'm like so hard on myself Mm -hmm. and I and I tell myself like it's all right you've worked super hard you won two national titles this year like Mm -hmm. you're working on your business it's not like you're being lazy but like that feeling like deep inside you're just like so angry at Mm -hmm. yourself for like not being able to do the things like it's just that drive is just yeah. No matter where you're at in your journey, that drive makes you feel like you're not achieving anything. Totally. Even yeah. when you are. And it's like, yeah. that's that's a real bitch. To it's a deal tough with. spot for sure. But I always go back to like, I'm a huge believer in everything happens for a reason. Mm. Everything that's happened up until my lo- up until now, even the bad things like missing a full year due to a broken leg or like I've had some crazy stuff happen. We all have every single one of them is came out way better on yeah. the back end every single time so why would it change now so like if i get injured or i get sick or something now i just automatically go to okay it's supposed to happen i'm supposed to be focusing on something else right now whether it's mindset or reading or taking my kids to the park or like there's always stuff you can do to make yourself better yeah in those situations like just being at jujitsu that's just one facet of yeah. your life i believe yeah so what could make me a better person or what could make me better even as a fighter not just being on the mat or not okay yeah. i'm gonna read this book about positivity i'm gonna do this with my girlfriend and like i just think there's so much emotional yeah. stuff that you could do you know yeah. like outside of just the physical like we're men we want to i want to do that 100 mile bike ride and i want to go do these 30 lap motos and i want to uh, you know but that is only going to go so far yeah if I can have a calm mind on the starting gate at Anaheim one, that'll go way further than if I've done 30 lappers or not. Yeah. So how am I going to achieve that by doing some mindset stuff? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So I used to be the same way, but now I'm just like, I try and gravitate. So it's okay. This is, this gives me an opportunity to do X, Y, and Z different that normally I wouldn't because normally I'd be at the track yeah and normally I'd be on the bicycle but since I can't today since I've got a little injury or since I'm I am sick now I'm going to focus on this different part of my life yeah 
and make that a little bit better. So that's kind of my mindset when stuff like that happens. What was the first book that you read that got you into reading? Because there's everyone's got a book, mm-hmm. I think, especially if you start reading like sort of later on. Yeah. That is like, damn, I think yeah. I should read now. Yeah. Uh, it's a self-coaching book. Um, I actually have it with me in my backpack. I carry it with me everywhere. It's kind of what started to make me aware of kind of like my childhood reflexes and um, just mindset stuff about anxiety and how anxiety and depression are linked. And um, I just like to pick it up every now and again and yeah, read a few What's pages. It it's just self-coaching book. I honestly can't remember the exact... Um, we'll post it. I'll, I'll yeah, get yeah. it off you and post yeah. it. I have it with me, so... Um, and then I just love, I love anything where I can learn different mindset stuff. Um, I always travel with, with two books just in case one isn't kind of like, I'm not feeling that one on a flight. So I read the other one and they're usually two kind of different types because a lot of the mindset training too, that I was doing early on, like you, you only have, I always say you only have so many matches to burn in a day. Yeah. So after I've burnt, like if you have 10 matches to burn and I've burnt four on training and I've burnt three on my relationships and I've burnt a couple on being a dad, like I don't really have the mental space to try and dig into a book about um, mindset. Yeah, something deep and heavy. Yeah, like you kind of have to be in the proper headspace for it. And then too much of it stresses me out because then I overthink it. Yeah. So there's like such a fine balance. But when I am ready for it, I always have it with me and then I can absorb it. And I might just do that once every two weeks. It might be enough. Um, So yeah, that was the first one. That was 2010 when I really started to kind of read books. And um, yeah, I don't read a lot, but there is, you know, people say, I don't have time for it. Well, 10 minutes at night before you go to bed, you could learn so much stuff. Yeah, I've really really started making like my morning routine. Like, yo, it's, you know, it's funny, dude. I was thinking last night and it like might sound a little bit arrogant in a way, but I think it's like important for people to hear. Like my life is changing now Mm -hmm. because of the podcast. Yeah. But it's not changing because of people paying attention to me and all these people listening and I'm making more money. Like that's not what's changing. Mm -hmm. What's changing is like my level of discipline Mm-hmm. and my work ethic and my appreciation for the people around me that help make things possible like I think I'm getting to be a better person because of all of the things that it takes to like make this happen yeah and in the part like so now I'm sort of at the point where it's like I can't even go to training like my days are so full that I can't go to training so mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to start getting up at five being at training at five in the morning yeah which like i was adverse to like that i didn't Mm -hmm. want to do that and then it's like so then you become this guy that starts training at 5 a.m till 6 a.m and then you're going out and you're fucking choking people for an hour and then you get and you have a shower then you get a coffee then you read for 20 minutes and then and it's like you sort of watch yourself you watch yourself change and you're like damn you're starting to look like a person that people would talk about in like a yeah in like a motivational video but it's yeah. like you that's not what it is mm-hmm. what it, that's like a pure requirement now like yeah. the ball started rolling and this is what it requires to like because i want to keep training i do want to still read for 20 minutes a day mm-hmm. in the morning like that's my first thing i want to do i do want to do more podcasts than i've done i do want to put effort into editing like 
you yeah. want to do these things so it's like you all of a sudden your life starts to look like what a cliche successful yeah. person is but it's yeah. like it's almost reverse engineered to the way that you would think and i i don't know whether it sounds arrogant to say that but it's Not like all, no. i want people to understand that it's like what i've now started to see as success is only work mm-hmm. and just prioritizing and then like when something happens where you're like oh, i don't have time to go to the gym now well you do you do you just you have to get up like super yeah. early and like it fucking yeah. sucks yeah but you're gonna have to just be a savage it's so worth it when you're done yeah it feels so good and like i and now i look at people like jared merrill from jstar mm-hmm. and i'd look at him and i would be like he's successful because he gets up at five and works out crazy and then he does this this and it's like no 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 like all of that stuff happened because he was chasing success yeah. like he that that was his pursuit like mm-hmm. it wasn't success that made that stuff happen like that's just what yeah. he was doing but on the outside in that's what it looks like and you're yeah. like people will go like no oh, well i'm just not the kind of guy that's going to get up at five in the morning and you know like yeah. people frame yeah. it so differently but yeah. now and then hanging out with guys like yourself and the guests that you talk mm-hmm. to it's like that's what that's what this like success is derived yeah. from like it's not you don't just wake up and do that shit. yeah, yeah. it's like it's an this, ingredient for sure yeah of success yeah and it's i don't know that's been something i've been like thinking a lot about mm-hmm. lately and it's like fuck man like this isn't this has just been right in front of me for a long time yeah. it's just i didn't get out of my own way enough to like actually do it and mm-hmm. i didn't put the work in i didn't want it bad enough like you have to be super honest with yourself yeah. about why you're not whatever your version of successful is right Mm -hmm. yeah you just hit on a a key thing of being um you know looking yourself in the mirror and being honest with yourself like that's that's a huge part of it right and if you're going to make all these excuses of i don't want to do this or don't want to do that and and a lot of it goes back to what you said of being a factory rider that's the same in every business or you want to be a successful businessman man and fly around in a private jet well guess what it takes to get there a lot of people wouldn't want to do it yeah and the you know the the ingredients to be a successful person or an athlete it's not all roses yeah it's a tough it's a tough deal but um it all pays off and we were talking this morning about parenting um there's not one parent that says how easy it was or yeah like it's the same thing it is tough but it's so good it's so fun same with business success or racing success the process is it's fun but it's really really hard yeah and if you embrace that pain or if you embrace that kind of suffer um that's when i think you really start to come out as as being successful or or whatever you kind of equate success to be um, all of us equate it to be something different. And, um, yeah, I just, I think it's cool when you really look at yourself in the mirror and say, this is what it's going to take and I'm willing to do it. And then you just get in the midst of it and then you're doing it. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, I'm starting to be successful. Like I'm, I, I just want to race. I just did this or now I am going for my fourth Australian championship. Like that's crazy. It all just seemed like it's happened, but you know, it took decisions. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of 
perseverance through injuries and sickness and it wasn't easy that's for sure but on the back end of it it's always so worth it well man we're uh just about done three hours oh wow and i appreciate <laughs> every single minute of it yeah, i really really enjoyed you coming on and i'm super glad just on a personal level that like we've connected now to where i can yeah, talk sure. to you like this you know yeah, i think you're, awesome. you're a valuable asset to anybody that would listen to you um and if if your goal at some point was to be like nate dog you've definitely achieved that goal so yeah, I, think I appreciate it on that on that level of things you should be super proud of yourself and the, the yeah. dude that you are and the family that you've created and and um the vibe that you give people when you interact with them awesome thanks man and we can appreciate do this again whenever you want absolutely yeah let's do it <laughs> sweet thanks cool. bro thank you awesome dude thanks yeah. so much man absolutely hope you enjoyed it yeah that was fun three hours for real Did you go yeah it's gnarly huh <clears throat>